What up, internet peoples? As you can see, we have Q052052. I'm not really sure, but... 052. 052 it is. We have him in the house. This is super exciting. Um, my name is Holden Stefan Roy. This is Bridge the Gap. This is the show where we talk to interesting people such as yourself. And we like to go through your life story and extract knowledge nuggets along the way so that we can all better our understanding of the world and etc. etc. So with all that, we like to start it off with a proper opening question. But as a prelude to that question, if you could just kind of briefly tell us who you are, just like your name, a little thing, but then tell us where you're from and like the sense of where you start your life because the beginning question is going to take us back there. Cool, man. So Quentin Condo, I'm uh, I'm a member of uh, the Mi'kmaq First Nation. My community is Giscabigia, and that's on the East Coast. That's in the Gaspé Z, right here in Quebec. But uh, if you know the, uh, the Mi'kmaq Nation, we spread all the way down into the States, all Eastern, you know, all East Coast. Um, so... Uh, my father's full Mi'kmaq. Uh, he's from Mi'kmaq. He's from that land. My mom is actually Irish American. So her family came over from County Mayo, Ireland, to uh, New York City. And they migrated, you know, they, they, they worked their way up north to the Boston area. And that's where my father met my mom when he was out there working in, in construction. So that was back in the 70s. And um, so I grew up a little bit back and forth inside the reserve and outside of boston back and forth uh, as a kid you know so that's an interesting yeah. start that um so with that i'm gonna uh, go through my opening question and just keep in mind that it's good to remember that like you know how the new york people go nah i mean a lot and they think you know what they mean but usually you don't know what they mean just pretend yeah. that most people will not know what you mean in moments like that so with yeah. that it's a little bit of a story and it starts with my girlfriend and she's washing the dishes one time and she's got her phone out and she's playing that black eyed piece on I got a feeling. Ooh. She's vibing, she's dancing, she's doing her thing. And uh, I look at her and I start to wonder to myself, when in the fuck did this song become chores music? Like, if you really, really think about this song and you run it back like 10 years, this is the middle of the night, everybody's having fun, jumping up and down party song. And then 10 years or so goes by. The song doesn't change at all because it's a song, right? Like, it's just what they do. But we change so much as uh, in our lives that the context and our relationship with the song evolves into this thing that we put on when we're doing chores or working out or some other boring crap and we want to go back to the fun times of our younger days which then got me thinking about the little ones and they have no idea that whatever they're partying to right now is about to be the future soundtrack of when they wash dishes and do other chores and what's crazy is that when we hear what they listen to like when i found the pop smoke bro i started washing dishes to the pop smoke and that's just kind of how the organic cycle of music fandom goes and the reason i bring that up is because it kind of correlates back to the idea of musical journeys right and most often when you talk to artists or you watch the interviews you see everybody kind of starts it at the same place back when they're like an adolescent you know 10 11 years old i discovered hip-hop at this point or i started writing my rhymes when i'm 12 into high schools and shit and you're like hold up the story starts way before there like there's a good chance that when you popped out the hospital or whatever it was you were born that there's some song or another being played in the room that there's a little baby you absorbing that energy and i know that because like when i'm like five years old growing up in montreal's and whatnot i can remember being in Cote saint luke and my dad's got 
these gray boxes in the apartment. There was the amp and the preamp and the radio and the tape deck. And it had the wires going to the speakers all around the room with that bougie little surround sound that we had going on. And he'd play his Led Zeppelin tapes and things like that in the daytime. And at nighttime, though, it was the MC Mario Club mix playing live from the clubs of Montreal. My mom's was more of the discos and the musicals and the Disneys and that whole other vibe. All I have to say, all this stuff kind of like influenced me a lot. It's all this music and shit I was forced to listen to before i had any control over what i ever could have chose to listen to at that age and it impacted me all the way to this day so i was hoping mr q052 that you could bring us back to the youngest q052 you can remember being and tell us a little bit about what it sounded like to be you before you had any control over the sounds absolutely man and i love that perspective and i like that uh nostalgic uh uh, you know, reverse uh, into the early, early days, right? And you're right, too many people jump into, I'm into hip hop and that's bu bullshit most of the time, right? Nobody's just into hip hop, unless you're probably from New York, right? But um, uh, even then, even then, yeah. all their moms and stuff was into like soul or this or that. Yeah, there's R&B going on. There's, yeah, there's all this going on. For me, I'm growing up on the res, on the East Coast in the 80s, before cable, before you know any of this shit we i had three channels on the television okay right up until i was like 14 years old over there we didn't have that fucking stuff so we didn't have that direct connection when i was on the reserve connection to um you know city life and and all of that 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 wasn't happening man i grew up on hank williams singing okay conway twitty um the old school country my father um, was a day school survivor, you know, so like the residential schools. Right, right. So in those schools, he had no choice. He had to learn to play <laughs> instruments. So he played guitar, he played piano, he played all kinds of fucking stuff, right? And when I was growing up, him and his buddies would always be at our place playing cards, playing guitars, right? So country music, that's really, really where it comes from. And uh, we didn't have a connection to hip hop within our community, not on the East Coast, not until we got much older and shit started coming out in the 90s, right? So we started having access stuff. You know, we didn't have the internet either. So we didn't have devices in order to, to gain that type of knowledge. But there was a few people in our community, like myself and a few others who were uh, of, of mixed blood, you know what I mean? So I was going back and forth to the Boston area. So when I would leave the reserve and go over there, now I'd be uh, immersed in a whole new culture, right? And when I was staying on that side, it was uh, on uh, Palm Street in Nashua, New Hampshire. Now, if you go to Palm Street um, in, in Nashua, you find it's it's the ghetto, right? So it's it's all the poor families living in these places. So, it, you know, Puerto Rican and uh, black community and indigenous people, there's like a lot of indigenous people over there. And so then we started listening to hip hop. This is where I started listening to hip hop. And, uh, you know, so, my musical taste and, and I have older brothers, right? And these guys grew up listening to CCR and uh, Zeppelin and uh, all of these bands, all the metal bands, right? And um, so I got a touch of all of that, man. I, I got a little bit of all of that. And even when I'm for music now, I'm doing all of it. Yeah, I noticed you have the band and you kind of hop around genres and it's, it's really interesting to hear that. So basically, if I understand it correctly then, your dad was forced to play instruments due to the way that the school system back then worked, which I had no idea that that was even a thing. But that turned yep. everybody into a musician and had everybody kind of jamming out back home. 
and then for some reason it's country which i guess if you're not in this city makes sense fair enough it's not my favorite genre but i understand um man you go on to the reserves uh on the east coast and it's mostly country you actually go to the reserves uh in inu communities in the north and whatnot you know what the strongest uh genre of music is in, with indigenous people is folk folk and country this is the most popular music mm. for indigenous people a lot more than hip hop or uh, electric. Uh, you know what, when you when you say it next to folk music like that, and you realize that like folk and country are kind of cousins. Uh, folk yeah. is way doper to me, but okay, I get what you're saying. It's got that country swag to it, right? It's got the same type of instruments. The thing with the folk though is you get a lot of the uh, the switchover, right? So you you get a lot of the uh, more drum beat from you know from indigenous communities, you know. And country don't have that so much, right? It's just you know, so there's there's a different vibe to it. But that folk adds that drum beat, and that's why you see so many indigenous people into that drum beat um, to the folk music. But yeah, man, it, even right now, you go into Giscabigia, you go to my community, or you go to Listigo, sister community, or any of the communities around Mi'kma'ki. Country music is going but to be driving. Is, is it the old country or is it the new hip hop country? It is the old country for, first and foremost. And then you have the uh, the Bayou music, right? Because our relationship on the East Coast is really close with the Acadian people. Mm. The Acadian people are the Cajuns that you call down south. Right, and right. Cajuns, so it's the same people. So uh, the roots of their music are very tied into ours and the interest and in our, in our communities are so tied into each other. Uh, you know, that the Mi'kmaq, when they did the deportation of Acadian people to send them down south and just send, get them out of here, a lot of Mi'kmaq men went with those those Acadian women because they had already formed families together, right? So you can go down to Louisiana right now and uh, you can Lafayette and you're going to find Mi'kmaq people, indigenous families there because they got deported with them. And in, right now, my wife is Acadian, right? And I have five children with her. If they were ever to send her anywhere, there's not a fucking chance in hell I ain't going. I'm going too. So that's why you see our uh, spread out there. Back to the point is that Bayou music, that Cajun style music, you find that in the Mi'kmaq music as well. Dude, that's you know? super. So, I love the context you're giving. Because, you know, I'm... Yeah, and CTR, Credence Clearwater Revival, like that type of vibe, and all of these guys that are coming. Brother Dedge, if you listen to Brother Dedge, it's a fucking great band, and you hear that vibe. You and you can find it into the roots so deep. That's fair. I don't know that I've ever heard them, but I know that people love CCR, and I never really could. It was just never for me. Okay. <laughs> but the stuff that you're saying is super interesting. Like I never really thought about the Acadians getting sent down south because when is that ever going to come up when you're a typical white boy coming up through the Montreal school system, the English Montreal school system, which is already kind of weird inside of Quebec. So it's like, I never thought about that really. And then the migration patterns of people like that, but I guess that's a lot more prevalent in your world. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the land always influences the music right? It's the way it is. Our languages, if you if you look at uh, the Mi'kmaq language or, or the, the Mohawk language, you know, all of the different nations, their language is directly related to the land. Now, when you start making music, you use your language. So it's music from the land, mm-hmm. right? So it comes from there. So when you go from one place to the other place, you're finding 
music of that land. And for sure, when you get down in Bayou country, you're gonna get bio, Bayou music. And those Bayous are all around the East Coast, you know? So it's influenced there too. And there's such a mix of culture, you know? The Acadians, first of all, to be Acadian, you're a mix of every goddamn race on the planet, right? You just mixed up everything, right? And then you got the Acadian people mixing with the, the Mi'kmaq people. And then there's a trade of culture. So there's so much trade of culture, even to the way the dressing and the sound of the music, it just gets really, really interesting. And um, it's it's rich and it's cool. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. That's partly why we're uh, going through it like this. That's why it's bridged the gap, because a lot of us don't know a lot of things, or at least to think like you're geographically closer to me than so many people that's culture might be more similar to mine. But realistically, it's like an apples and oranges existence. Like in the 80s, I'm born in 87, right? So like, okay, I didn't grow up in the 80s like that, but still a little bit after. I'm in the middle of Montreal. We're complaining about getting music like a year late or movies eight months late. You're like, I'm not connected. (laughs) Like, that's a completely different reality. (laughs) Yeah, there was no cable. Uh, In Giscabigia, we didn't have access to cable, I think, until 1992. 1992 yeah and that's it was when you first get it that and, and it was in the non communities first not in the reserve you know so it, it was different it you, you know there, there's still the racial boundaries right and uh so you know i would go up with my brothers and we'd fucking hack that shit you know we'd pirate it we'd climb the fucking posts and i get fucking free cable on our on our road for a year one time you know it's just we had to do it. it's the only way we had access they would come right to the edge of the community and not connect it, right? So we're like, fuck. That's... We want to see what everyone else is seeing. So, and uh, that's that's what we did, you know? Um, but that's how it was. We we weren't connected to any of those things. And uh, it, on the East Coast, things were moving a lot slower. It wasn't as, it wasn't as progressive as the rest of the place, right? I'm not so a thousand percent sure what you mean by that. Because like... As far as race goes, as far as having things available and accessible to the indigenous communities, you got to understand that the indigenous community, um, they call that a reservation, right? Right, So that's federal reserved land for indigenous people, for Indians, according to them. And that land has, the province has zero, zero um, jurisdiction. They can't come in. They can't do anything. So that poses a problem for a lot of companies who are under provincial rule. So if you got a cable company who has a, a, an agreement with the province to provide a service, when it gets to the reserve, that's federal. So it doesn't apply. So they have no recourse if something goes wrong. So it was very touchy. It took a lot of agreements. Did, between. Did other parts of Canada get access sooner? Or is that what you meant by the east part of that statement before? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, other places, you know, because they... They were, um, you know, it's it's like on the East Coast, the, the the racial issues were allowed for a lot longer because it wasn't seen as much. Less populated, people didn't see it so much, and, and things happened. And I'm not saying people from the East Coast are bad people. No, of we course have not. Great people out there, but, you know, but it's just that a lot of those things happened. There was a bar in the community right next to me in the Richmond. The bar was called Barabies, Barabies Hotel. And up on 2003, no Indians were allowed in. That's a wild okay. thought, man. That's fucking wild. So just to talk about progressiveness and whatnot, just to say, and that was acceptable. That was acceptable to people. There. I mean, like I can, 
I can remember how normalized a lot of the racism was. So like it's not that far back, but like to the level that you would describe it like that, like sometimes they're just not cognizant of it because it's like you said it's never in your face. Like even in Montreal, like there's occasional places where you're gonna see drunk people, but like you're not really exposed to a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, that's for, that's for sure. You're exposed to different things. Fair. And, um, that's a good way you know? to put it. Different things, but not like. Like, I've never really been to any of the reservations. I mean, okay, I've gone to Ganawage to get cigarettes or whatever. But, like, outside of that, like, we've never really, I've never, I don't know what it looks like. I couldn't tell you if Willie hadn't shot music videos here and there, you know? Like, there's no visual to go with it. Yes. Well, it's very much the same as any other uh, community, right? We have all of the ups and downs in any other community. Uh, We don't have access to the same services all the time. A lot of people think that Indigenous people are given a check and they've got a free wit, and that's not how it works. There's, you know, I I serve time in politics, right? So I've, I've been through the system. I understand the system. My father was first elected chief when he was 21 years old, years and years and years before. So the political system is very well understood in the family. Um, but there's so much misinformation that is given to the non-Indigenous community uh, in Canada, in North America, that people have so much room for assumption. Mm. And, and that opens the door for racism when that happens. And, and, and that's a problem because if, like we understand, Indigenous people in our communities, we understand uh, the treaty rights. We understand our inherent rights. We understand our collective rights, our communal rights. The problem is, is the non-Indigenous community don't understand any of that. So when we do go hunting or we do go harvesting or we, we're on our territory, people think that we're doing something wrong because it's not the same rules. But that's not our responsibility to continually educate non-Indigenous people about Indigenous rights. When you have a government in place that has an education system, that has all of the tools necessary in order to provide that information to their own population, that would kill the racism on a spot for the most part. And, um, but we continually find ourselves having to educate people individually. And that's a lot slower process. They run the school uh, education system. They run the colleges and universities. They should be providing that information so we can eliminate systemic racism within our society. Yeah, that was super well said. I really like that answer. You definitely, Thanks. you said that like a politician. Well done. Well, I, I spent a lot of time in there, you know, and, um, but like not in a bad, I don't want to like, I don't want anyone to get that twisted. I meant it like a guy who gets politics more than like yeah. a negative politician. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I ain't trying to sell you something right there. Nah. I'll tell you something. But your um, wording was pristine. Oh, thank you. But it's because I'm living that system. And if you listen to my music, you'll find that same, uh, conversation going on. Uh, I utilize music as a platform in order to address issues to, to create systemic change. That is the goal. For me, that is the goal. It's not just about artistic expression. It's about education. And mm. uh, I have children, so it's very, very important for me that they understand what's going on. But it's under- it's very important that the people around them, their age, understand that as well. That's how we create change, right? I agree with you. I, I, so. No, nah, it's really well said. I agree with you. You caught me off guard with that. But, like, super pristinely, <laughs> like, concise. Um Let's go back to, like, I guess you said you were young. Um, when you were, like, super young, were you interested in music growing up with a dad who played guitar and stuff? Did you have any desire to pursue that, or were you up to other kinds of things when you were super young? Let's say under 10. Under 10, man, super interested in music, 
in art, in everything, drawing. Um, growing up, I did a lot of harvesting with my dad, right? Because our economy was low. We didn't have a lot of work uh, on the res. So all of us grew up making baskets or uh, sweet grass braids and stuff like this to sell, you know, during the tourism season. Um, so we, we were kind of brought up as artists inadvertently. We're doing it for work, right? We're doing it to feed our families, but you learn how to work with wood. You learn how to create. You learn how to do all of these things. Um, so art was important. Drawing, I got into drawing a lot. My mom was a great artist. She could draw. She's just, she's wonderful. And um, so I was brought up really, really rich in the arts, um, whether it be from carving to, to any of those things. So growing up around music, same thing. So music was always a huge part of my life. I always wanted music to uh, be my exhaust uh, in right. order to express myself, right? My father, though, although he's the one who introduced me into most of these things, he had other plans for me. And if you know anything about indigenous communities, the fathers have a big say in, in the son's future, mm. you know? And um, my father had a lot of kids, and but he specifically thought that I was going to be um, working for our people. And he made sure he kept me on that road. And you're going to be, uh, you're, he, he prepped me my entire life to be into indigenous politics. Right. And I wanted to, I preferred music and art. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, fuck that shit. And I also played a lot. Of right? Yeah. So my father was basically like, no, you're, you're going to waste your fucking time with music. You're not going to do that. Secure your, your, your future, get out there, um, work, establish something, uh, own something, build your family. And that's, what's important. Work for your community and do those things. So I did those things. I did what he did, but I always tampered with the music and I always wrote and I always did my artistic stuff on, on the side, you know, and um, that's, that's how it was. I didn't put out, I didn't publish any music until 2018. I didn't publish any. You know, I was working on things and there's no coincidence. My father died in 2016. Okay. And uh, so that opened. Wow, door that me. is like a serious like okay. Because when you said, if you know anything about, no, I don't know anything about that level of influence. Like my dad made me go into sciences, and then after right. a year, they made a deal with me. Right, you can do sciences for one year, and if you do that and you don't like it, we'll fuck off on your life forever. And they adhered to that deal. I did my year of sciences, and then they, to the benefit or whatever never had an opinion again about what I did. So it's the complete opposite for me. I don't have any idea what it's like. I'm sure my dad had plans for me that did not involve the way my life went, but <clears throat> nah, it was like nothing like that where somebody forced me down a path of like politics, which is, I certainly hope we can go through your political stuff. Cause yo, I don't know anything about any of that. Like you got to imagine that Willie Scandals might be the most informative source of anything I have related to any of the indigenous communities is like actual information. Okay, cool. So yeah, my dad was in, in, in politics, into music. He, he was into everything, right? Um, but he was also into business and he opened himself. Uh, he actually, my aunt Irene had a little canteen on the reserve where she sold French fries and had a little arcade section, okay? And um, around 1990, she wanted to sell it, so she sold it to my dad. My dad bought that up, expanded onto that, turned it into a smaller restaurant in the community, um, expanded onto that uh, a few years down the road. By 1995, it was like a, 
a game room bar with a mini casino in it. Okay. Wow. Like a few, yeah, with a few poker machines. And uh, but during that time, he utilized that to generate revenues in order to buy a piece of land that was next to the reserve. Okay. And it's right alongside the river. And he purchased that and he turned it into an outfitting for salmon fishing. All right. And um, it's called Micmac Camp. It's still working. All right. I'll, I'll get to those stages. But so as I'm growing up through the 90s now and here, I'm having to work in these places. So my dad is conditioning me in, in, into, the, into the work, uh, whether I'm cleaning dishes, making poutines, serving beers, or guiding people on the river. So, you know, I was constantly working, but at the same time, constantly working close within my community, doing things uh, with people in the community, things with the elders, with the youth, and always doing these things. So um, I grew up conditioned by my dad the way he wanted me to be in those situations. And eventually in 2003, I would open my own gas station, you know? Yeah, that's wild. To... Yeah. So, so, so instead of like school in a conventional sense, you're going through more of a mentorship experience upon which you're just kind of effectively working with the family business as a way to correlate it. And um, that kind of creates the experience yeah. necessary for you to launch your own thing. And I guess because of the family capital that you're investing in, the family is willing to now invest in you and help you go through kind of like, because you quit. Because you know, what's wild is before this interview, and it's weird that this has just come up like this, is we were just discussing how um, kids used to be like a source of labor slash productivity slash whatever. So having lots of kids is like an asset you know and then i was pointing out how small my family is because kids is not an asset when you're poor in montreal without that whole thing kids be like mouths to feed and shit and it's like a it's almost like a bad financial investment but in the way that your world described it's like large families are like economic prosperity as much as cultural prosperity and that's mad different yeah huge difference because in the city you can't go out and shoot a deer you can't go out and shoot a moose you can't go and fish a salmon we can and the more fishermen you have the more hunters you have the more you're going to eat you know so there's there's these things are definitely different but yeah my father required that i leave school in order to be invest into the business required you know? that you leave school that's a yeah you needed me there so how old and were you that... when you left school 16 so up until 16, you're in like the school system uh, and what's the, because well, well, you're I, going I back and forth between Boston, right? You said, uh, or yeah, up until my teens, up until I was about 13 years old. And then I was primarily on a reserve all the time. And then, um, and how much time would you say you split between the two locations or like how it, it depends on. It depended on employment, right? From year to year, it depended on employment. So you might do like a year of school in like the States and then like a year of school yeah. on the reserve. That's right. And how do these two school systems mesh? Like, what is that like? She's just going through it like that. Like you're getting, it's almost like you're getting two completely separate education systems as you're growing up, depending on where totally. you're at. Totally. It, it was, it was a bitch of work, man. I'll tell you that much. You're constantly adapting. You're constantly adjusting. To a new place but uh you know what after you've done it a couple times it's no problem right so um it develops character it develops your ability to uh, adapt and um i was grateful for it i'm still grateful for it and uh, then i ended up i got scouted out to play hockey when i was 15 mm. out of the east coast 
okay, and uh, by Roger Nielsen back in that time. And I ended up playing hockey uh, just outside of Toronto and then down into Halifax. And then when I was like 16, my dad was uh, really needed help around the place. When I was gone, I was, that was two hockey seasons. I was, I was on my second season gone. And, uh, you know, you, work need to be done. Things need to be, the family need to be fed. These things need to be done. So I went back and uh, continued working onto it to develop Micmac Camp, the fishing camp. Actually, that's the logo right there. Mm. If you want to go look it up, we got a Facebook page and everything. And um, we developed that place, made it great. And um, in 2015, uh, I took over that business as well. So uh, that is now my business. It's under my name. And um, yeah, it's still running strong, dude. And so what does Micmac Camp do? We provide... Uh, we're an outfitter, so we're providing uh, fishing excursions on the Cascapedia River. So people come from all over the world, man, to come and fish. So the, you basically do, like, fancy fishing tours? Absolutely. So it's all fly fishing. It's on the Cascapedia River. We got a lodge on a piece of property on the side of the river. We accommodate up to uh, 16 people at a time. And uh, that's that, man. My kids work there. Uh, my, my mom still manages the place because, hey, they're the ones who established it in 1997. Mm -hmm. Willie just sent me the link so I can go share it with people. Shout out Willie Scandos oh. for being here and uh, helping out. Shout like out that. to Willie. Hey, yeah, man. Willie's a great cat, man. Yeah, facts. He was like, you have to interview Q. You have to do it as <laughs> soon as you can. And shout out Digital <laughs> Fire for being here and Layla Max in here. And I appreciate everybody that's watching because y'all always make it a more special experience when y'all are here. And Ismail. How could I forget Ismail and Linda? They're also here. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so you're really running this entrepreneurial thing. And I guess you're kind of catering to whatever tourists are coming through the area. And I do a lot of different things, right? So I wear... It, it, I can't, like, if you were to ask me for a description of what I do for a living, I can't fucking give you one. I do too many different things. You know, I also do traditional cooking and I do all kinds of stuff. I do fish, uh, fishing shows. I do uh, cooking shows. I do, like, a lot of different like things. Like TV that, shows? That, uh, yeah. Yeah, television shows and, uh, you know, uh, web movies and shit. Okay, okay, so, let's run it yeah. back. Let's run it. Okay, so you're, like, young and you open up your first thing at, like, what? Uh, that's what I think the beginning of your thing is. Yeah, I was 22. All right, so you start at that point, and you open up your own store. I can't recall what kind of store it is. A, it ga a gas, a gas station. station. Store and, and the whole bit, yeah. All right, so tell us a bit about what it's like to be a 22-year-old entrepreneur with your first store. Uh, it was... It was par for the course, man. Remember, I grew up in this shit, so it wasn't scary. It wasn't something new to me. It wasn't something I wasn't ready for. Mm. I grew up in business, you know. I grew I grew up doing those things, so it really, it was just another day in my life, ready to go. It was exciting because it was mine, and I wasn't, you know, didn't belong to my folks or or you know a family member or something. So that was exciting about it. There's a lot of work put in it, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and um, you know that's the way it goes. So how long did you run the star for? I'm still running it now. So just that that's just the beginning of multiple endeavors, and you still have the store. So like you go there, that's why. Yeah. I, I, got a, I got a staff there right now, uh, and then in in total, I've got about twenty seven employees. Wow, yeah. this guy's actually yeah. boss. Like people be talking boss. This is what boss is. Yeah, but that's why you don't hear me talking about that shit, right? I don't like to talk fiction. I'm a, I'm going to talk about the truth. I don't use my uh, platform in order to go and. Uh, 
brag about endeavors, right? What I want to do is use it to make change. Mm, I appreciate you know? that. I guess if I could, I could make a whole fucking album about bragging, but you already heard that from how many fucking people? Mm. I don't want to do that. Yo, I, got, I see the, the only thing I can tell you is that when I hear somebody maybe bragging in the sense that you're saying I understand, but let's say you did come through and flex on having 27 employees and you paid them on time. Now yeah. that now that's a different kind of flex because now you're giving yeah. solid advice to people. And there is a way but, to to brag while giving advice. Yeah, yeah I suppose. I suppose. There's, you know, you got to take care of your employee. That's look. There ain't nobody that takes care of those employees like I do back home. That's for sure. I was way past minimum wage. I'm, I'm paying my cashiers at store $18 an hour. Okay. okay. They're taken care of. They get bonuses every Christmas. They're taken care of all of the time. I take care of my people. There's there's no way around that. My music reflects that. And my life respect uh, reflects that. And, uh, and, and it's important. Like I said, I got kids. And they need to see that. Mm. Right? No, I appreciate that. And I, I, that's why I'm saying sometimes it's okay to not necessarily brag for the sake of showing off, but brag for the sake of setting standards for other people to aspire yeah. to be. Yeah, for sure. And that I have no problems doing, but to get up and and, and be bragging about, uh, you know, the, the ride or whatever. There's, there's some things that have been done too many times and what's not done enough is uh, speaking the truth, putting truth on the track. Nah, that's fair. And your music is pretty unapologetically for your people about issues that are, it's almost like you, you want me to hear it, but you don't care as much if I fucks with it or not. Yeah, absolutely. It don't matter. I'm not uh, I'm not going to beg you to come and listen to it, but I hope you do listen and uh, you understand, right? I felt it. Willie says you still drive your first truck. I do. <laughs> I still got my first car. I got my first car that I bought. Uh, okay, when I was uh, 19 or 20, I went down to go. When my great-grandfather in New Hampshire got sick, um, he's, he's the one that would take care of me when I go down to the Boston area. He always take care of me. And um, so when he got sick, he was on dialysis. There was nobody around close to go and take care of him. So I dropped my fucking life. And I went and I go take care of him, you know? And, uh, and I took care of him until he passed. And while I was down there, I had to work and take care of them at the same time. So I was working out of, uh, I, I was doing night shifts at Toys R Us. I was stocking shelves, dude. So I was working there and I was working as a, a landscaper. I was working on the grounds, right? So I was doing what I had to do, bring money home, take care of my grandfather, and do all of that. So I needed a place to get from A to B. And, and uh, in the States, it's really easy to go and get financing for cars and whatnot. It's a lot easier than over here. So I went and I got myself a car. That was 1999. Yeah, so I still got that little red uh, ZX2 uh, Ford Escort. Still drive it. Still drive it today. That's wild. Still. Yeah, wild. Yeah. And my great-grandfather co-signed for me to get that. Man, I didn't have a fucking pocket piston, right? I needed help. And uh, so that's my last connection to my great-grandfather. Okay, that's like super sweet and sentimental. Yeah. Like, that's exactly. really cool. Yeah. So after, um, so I guess after you, you, you open up the store, what, what is like the next branch off in your endeavors that you added to that? Family. Mm. Family. I have five boys. So procreation and the, the whole getting married and all of that. I, Absolutely. I guess that's an adjustment still. 
there's that. And also there was the reappropriation of culture. Now I have children and there's a lot of uh, traditions and cultures that we've lost over the years, right? So there's, there's a lot of things that I, um, I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to teach my children because I didn't learn. I had a lot of stories from my father, my uncles, elders in the community about things that were being done in the old days, but that were never practiced anymore because they weren't allowed to, right? So I was afraid that those would just go into stories, seep away and be, become forgotten, like a lot of our traditions. So I said, I got a responsibility. I got kids and I got to make sure I fucking bring this shit back. So I, I'll give you one example. Um, when I would go and pick uh, ash, go cut ash trees to make baskets. Um, one time I was a kid, I don't know, I was probably about 10 years old, somewhere around there. And uh, we were cutting ash in the woods on the side of the river. Now, when we would go and cut ash, we'd get the trees, we'd work in the morning, but the old folks always had tea time. Take a break, you have tea, go on the side of the river, have a little tea, you make a little fire before you go out and you keep cutting more ash. And that's how you make sure that you're able to work all day long, right? That tea will give you energy. And we were sitting on a log on the side of the river and my father and his best friend, Richard, um, were talking about the old days, how their grandparents told them they used to cook in these logs. They used to put salmon right in there. They would heat rocks. They'd hollow the log, put the rocks in there, the hot rocks, then put salmon on, on boards and steam it in there. I've never seen that happen. I've, I've never witnessed it, but it always stuck in here. Mm. So then I started practicing to do it myself. I was pretty good with a chainsaw. I'm a carver. So I cut myself a log and I started putting it to use. Now I've been doing that for years now. My kids all know how to cook salmon in a log. My father never taught me, but he gave me the story. So this is just an example. So all these little stories that I would gather up from elders in the community, I would go fishing just so I could go and bring salmon or, or trout to elders in my community. I'd go to their house, bring it to them, just because that's how I would get them to talk to me. And then they start sharing old stories with me. Then I'd keep them in. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to do that. That's how I learned how to build birch bark Hold canoes. Up. You, you know, you know so. what's wild? Because what you just dropped there is a huge knowledge nugget. Because um, <clears throat> if you read any of those entrepreneurial how to get like successfuls, whatnot, they always tell you, find somebody that has something that you want and then bribe them with food. <laughs> I fucking swear. It's you're supposed That's to really go. You're supposed to go up to like, you know, like, let's say. Let's say I wanted Willie's help to plan a show. If I'm being strategic about it, I'm going to go, yo, Great. Willie, let me take you for a coffee. Willie, let me get you with this. Let me. And if you think <laughs> about it, all of our co it's always a food item. And really what you did is you went and brought these people food to get what you needed. And I'm like, that's wild how universal sometimes the food game can be. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredible. But in our community, honest to God, you, you can't, first of all, you ain't going to an elder's house empty-handed. You better be bringing them something. And if you want to have conversation, you can go to an elder's community empty handed and ask them a few questions and you're going to get the driest fucking answers you're ever going to get. Dry. Just like you're wasting their fucking time. Get out of here. I'm going to go play bingo. Right. But if you show up with some food and you bring the ingredients and you want to cook in their house, you know, like, hey, I want to show you how I'm cooking this. Or I'm going to show you how this is done. Or, you know, I learned this. Now you're starting to do something together. Now you got some conversation going on. Then I ask you, where did you get that fish? Oh, I got it down around the bank over there. Holy shit. That's where I used to fish with my kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's where my grandfather showed me how to fish. And it used to be like this. And it used to be. That's how the conversation starts. You got to get in there and do that. 
You go to an elder's house and you just expect answers? Get the fuck out of here. Don't work like that. Not in our communities. Bro, that's not how it works in all communities. You just gave away the secret to all communities, but most of us just don't even know how to do that shit because there's not a lot of culture and custom like that shit. But, like, facts is you just gave the blueprint to, like, but there you go. how to politic successfully with richer people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, the, you know, most of the time, man, it's not just to get information. What's important is to spend that time. That time is golden. Mm. You're going to remember the mannerisms. You're going to understand uh, their wisdom through their thoughts and through their explanation. Don't go there with a notepad because if you go there with a notepad, you ain't listening. You know, so sit there, listen to them, and and understand. I'm telling you, that's the way to do it. And then you're able to grab some knowledge that you can perpetuate to the next generation. And that's what's important. We're supposed to evolve one generation to the next, one to the next. I believe that my father was better than his father's generation. I believe that I'm better than my father's generation. I believe my children will be better than mine. That's the way it's supposed to be. We got to give them the tools. We got to give them the tools. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. Like, in all tiers of society, I believe that, like, one of the things that we've lost is the idea of mentorship and apprenticeship in general. Like, there's, mm -hmm. there, there might be, like, programs for it, but I don't see it as being, like, like you're supposed to go find younger people to go, you know, nurture them. Like it's not really something I feel like people might be like enforced upon unless they're your direct offspring. But like at a cultural community level, I'm noticing there's a lot of weird issues because we're not doing that. So like the way you're describing it, it's almost like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> you know, invest in the youth. That's what everybody says they want to do, but you out here actually doing it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I look, I, I know when someone's full of shit. I've I've heard the jargon, I've heard the political promises and whatnot, but I see the people who actually put their feet on the on the ground and get the job done. Mm. You know, it's it's different. It's, it's just like protesting, man. You find my feet all over the goddamn place. I'm pro protesting everywhere. I always have. I did my first one with my dad when I was nine years old, and um, I won't stop. There's a difference between sharing something on Facebook and actually showing up for the fucking cause where people need numbers to make change, you know, where you need to demonstrate that there are, there's population standing together, you know, and these are things that need to be done. Um, yeah, I'm not necessarily a thousand percent sure how protesting is in muscle because it's not necessarily something I inherently grew up with. Like I actually went to the, one of the black lives matters protests because I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I, I understand this. This makes sense. But in general, um, there's a lot of like, I don't know how much protesting does anything is more my problem with it. So like, as an example, there's a lot of vapid protests. And it's not to say that certain protests don't matter. And I'm not trying to diminish it. But like, you take a look at like a half a million people show up for Greta Thornburg and nothing changes. And then you see a lot of people show up to defund the police and nothing changes. And then you see all these protests happen and then nothing changes. And that's when I have trouble. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the right solution is. But you watch the trucker shit and you're like, what was that about? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, one thing is certain. People have the right to protest and they have the right to go out and, and uh, exercise that, right? Right. There's no, I don't believe that we can judge one protest being better than the other. We don't have that right to do that because people Understood. have that. We have to respect people's decision and people's points of views. And uh, that's okay. And we're lucky to live in a place where we're allowed to protest. You look at Russia. They can't fucking do that. Facts. 
where we have an impact, I know as indigenous people, when it comes to railway blocks, like you see in Ganawage, roadblocks in Giscabigia and all over the goddamn place, we know we have an impact when we do this with longevity because we hit them where it hurts. Government and industry only care about one thing. It's this. So if you can stop their flow of merchandise, you're hurting their pockets. And that's the only thing they fucking care about. Politicians, they need industry people to pay for their campaign trails to get to be the politicians. So those merchants need to be able to move. So if we can go in there, if we're making them lose money, they're looking for ways to solve the problem. And a lot of times that forces them to the table in order to do things. Do we have complete systemic change? No. But do we solve little battles at a time? That's the only way we can do it. We can't win the war in one shot. We're not enough people. But okay. we can take steps in order to chip away, chip away, and chip away. So in a sense, it's the collective access, uh, it's the collective number of multiple smaller protests with high impact that forced them to come to the table more so than the grandiose one-off protests and whatnot. 100%. It's always a snowball effect. Right. Always. So we need small things happening everywhere because when you interfere with their economy, I'm telling you, it's the only language they speak. It's the only language they speak. I've been at the political level. I've, I've represented, uh, believe it or not, uh, there's a thing called the AFNQL over here in Quebec. That's the table of all the chiefs that sit in this province, okay, from all the different nations. The 11 nations, there's one table of chiefs. And uh, there's several times I've been called upon by that table to go and represent them at a provincial level, even at the national level. So I'm, I'm very familiar with dealing with these politicians on different grades. I fish with politicians. I, you know, like I, there's, I know the system and I know what their interest is. It's never what's best for you. It's never what's best for the community. It's always about the bottom line. It's always about business. It's always industry. How much more can we make? And that's all that counts. And politicians only give a fuck about who's paying for the campaign trail. Why the fuck do you think that Lego right now is pumping out these, these little uh, paychecks here and there? It's election season, dude. There's little monies going out here and there. There's things that he's mm, doing. A little $500 credits and shit. The contracts that he's given out to Bombardier. Guess who pays for his fucking campaign trail? I just got to say, I've not had a single person walk in here and really bring up anything meaningful in Quebec politics before. So kudos. You're, you're, you're bridge the gap number 150. <laughs> not, cool, when man. I say Quebec, I mean meaningful Quebec politics. My biggest criticism of Quebec media uh, on a political front is that they only ever talk about immigration and a couple of other issues, and they never really, or the language issues will come up, but nobody ever talks about the economy in like a meaningful way. Or if I'm not mistaken, they passed a law in Legault's first term that lets them take any land they want if it's deemed necessary for bigger government projects. And like shit like that they happens. Can, yeah, they can expropriate land, yeah. And nobody ever talks about that shit, but they'll talk about masks and whatnot. Yeah, because it's diversions, right? And they prefer that you be worried about the little things going on. But while he's busy passing these bylaws or these um, these omnibus laws, these these bills. Yo, can you just by. break down omnibus? I know you use that shit in your raps, and I was like, say word. I forgot what that term means. So like, okay, so omnibus is basically all right. We're gonna talk about this. This is uh, we're gonna say we're gonna pass a bill a lot today, and they're gonna name it. Bill Q 
0.02, okay? In that law, the meat on that is going to be, let's say, transportation. So we're here on transportation. But what they're going to do is not just pass one law on there, right? Because politically, you're not, you know, you're not doing anything fucking stealthy. So then they start passing little bylaws from here. So it's going to be transportation. What do you mean transportation? Let's talk about bicycles. All right, bicycles. What are we going to do with bicycles? Well, now they can only have this lane to drive through. Oh, okay. Now the law is going to change here on that bicycle thing. All right, all right. Now, what does that have to do with any? Uh, well, now if you don't use this lane and you do something else, you get fined for this much. Okay. And what happens with those fines? Well, if you don't pay those fines, this is what's going to happen. So all of these other laws start fitting in to this one law. That's an omnibus bill. They're putting, they're stacking shit in there. And all you see is the headline. You think that it's just one thing, but in reality, there's a whole bunch of shit that might violate your rights. And then there, you know, they, it doesn't have enough time to go through public opinion for people to really understand what's happening. And this well, is now like high key. Well, okay. One time I tried to read one of these motherfuckers. It was back in the Pauline Marois days. And it was the one where like, she would have dropped in like language police in the next level. She could have appropriated government resources to spy on companies. Like this is not a lot like lie. If you really break down what she wrote <clears throat> into that, they would have been able to take like SQ agents and have them go undercover as employees in a training just to bust you out for not speaking French and shit. Like that is not an exaggeration of what was written. This shit was like 35 pages of bylaw shit that covered like everything and you could barely understand a fucking thing yeah it's incredible and you know that i love this where this conversation is going because it, it, it's it opens the door to talk about a lot of shit as an indigenous politician when you get elected into your council you are so fucking swarmed with these papers that it's hard to achieve anything i've seen it over and over and over again, people with great intentions who run in, in indigenous communities to be counselor or chief or grand chief or whatever system they, they uh, follow. And they have good intentions and they have this dream that they're going to make this change and they're going to do these things for these people. But suddenly you enter this machine that was designed for your failure. This system was not designed in order for your community to fucking prosper and grow. It was designed to keep you fucking down. It was designed to do this. And what they're going to do is you say, okay, I'm going to make change. I need more housing. You need more housing. Okay. Here's some documents. Can you please fill these in? Fill all of this stuff in, read it, understand it. Then you're going to understand Section 35 housing, and you're going to understand social housing, social housing under Section 35, and social housing under fucking uh, Section 92, and all of these things. They're going to have all of these things. And now all of a sudden, you who want to create change have become a government administrator. You're administrating programs for the government now. They've tricked you into doing their fucking job. Here, you go fill this out. Son of a bitch. You've taken enough from us. That's your fucking job. It's my job to come to your door, knock on them, and make sure that we have those services provided to us that are deserving to our communities. So you get so caught up in the bureaucracy of things, and you get so caught up in being an administrator that you can no longer provide the, the hopes and dreams and ten, intentions that you had to your community. Then what happens is your community members turn on you. 
call you a fucking sellout and call you somebody who's not taking care of them, you know? So, but that's, the system is designed to do that. And it's very, very hard to get out of it. That's why I, I was in politics and I left politics. I never lost an election. Actually, the two terms I went in, I went with the strongest mandate anybody in our community. And then I was uh, nominated every year since I left. I'm nominated as fucking grand chief again. And I refuse it because I feel like I can do more from where I'm right now. I can talk to more people. I can oh, you know, it's, educate what's more. So it's really wild is you just broke down the problem with local politics in Montreal. There you go. Because politics is politics. Just change the name. And it's wild how convoluted the systems are and how, you know, if you want to do this and you want to create the change, you have to go down these loops and then it's like you have to learn legalese and then the next thing you know, you're caught up in politicking in order to get like a fraction of begging for it because you've done all this work. So at least you got to get something. <laughs> and, and then when you do all this work, you know that we live in a democracy, right? That is a nice thing. That's what indigenous people have always lived in. Um, but so democracy requires that you at least have people to agree with you. So now what happens when you're playing the political game, you come up with a plan, you've worked onto it hard, you know it's good for the people, you know you got to put it through, but now you need an alliance. You need people to support what you're going to pass. You need quorum. You need five out of the nine people that are going to vote on this. Mm. So there's other politicians there with things that, Things that they want to pass. I'll support you if you support me. You support this, support that. Then people find themselves supporting shit that they don't really believe in, but they need the support from the other politician. Understand? So now you're stuck into the fucking machine. You're stuck in the fucking gears in the machine. So if you want to break the machine, you can't be in it. You got to be out of it. Joe, it's wild that you break it down like that. It's so simple. And it's the problem with all politics and shit. Is there like lobbying and things like that that you have to deal with? 100%. There's lobbying going on. Um, when election season is coming, I call it a season, baby, because it's a fucking season when election time's coming in. You got to start getting your ducks in line. You got to start having your platform ready. You got to say the right words. They got to be shiny words. They got to be to the right people. They got to be to the leads of the family. They got to be to the right groups. They got to be on the right fucking platforms at the right fucking time. Politics is all about timing and wording. And um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of studying in order to get it right. But you're still wasting all of that fucking time on the politics of things and not on the issues understand man i i do i really really do because it's not that different than business honestly yeah. i got to middle management and while i can't go very deep into this conversation as i'm actively employed let's just say that i've had to learn a lot about politicking and compromise and agreeing and it's not to say that it's always a bad thing but my goals are rarely the goals of the people I have to politic with. And we both have to meet our objectives to the same guy up top. And he ain't exactly. listening to any of our excuses. So yeah. <laughs> end of the day, we both have to win. And that's where you end up compromising. And it's even, yo, even run it back to the hip hop scene. Yo, you might have to work with people you flat out don't like. And you might have to yeah. compromise your vision a lot. Because not like your artistic vision. I'm talking the more business scene side of shit like i remember swearing this that the next thing and then i got to where i'm at and i'm like oh that's why motherfuckers be charging rappers oh okay i get some shit now 
Yeah, yeah, there's definitely it, man. There's no matter what we do in life, we're gonna deal with politics. And Jesus Christ, you know what? We're taught to start dealing with politics and fucking in school, dude. In school, you got your class president, you got your fucking student body, you've got all of these things going on. All of this shit is happening. We grow up in a system that fucking conditions us to be politicians in the world after school, you know? So that's how it is, man. Politics I never is thought a big about thing. that like that. And politics is such an old fucking thing, man. It's so old. Indigenous people, we have our families and clans. We have clans and there's a lot of politicking going on all the time, whether it be hunting, whatever it be, all right? So it goes way back to the cavemen, dude. I even question if music was started off in, for politics. If you go into those old caves in France and whatnot, and you see those drawings and what came first? Was it the drawings? Was the music, you know? And what came first when you were forming tribes? Was it music? Was it talk? Like, what was it? You know, mm. there's a lot of... Yo, I had thought. somebody... So I was talking to somebody who was describing the African drum patterns and how music is language, depending on your culture. Yeah. As in, like, no. And he was... I, I had a lot of trouble with this because sometimes I hear new concepts and it takes a minute and I still don't fully get it. But the way he broke it down is that it's not that music evokes feeling. It's nabi. It's like music is a language. When they play these drums in this order, it communicates to the people listening to it the same way that these words I'm using. And I'm like, that's like some shit. Like, right? right? Like, yeah, and that makes fucks you up to think sense. about but then if we run it back to what you're saying it's entirely possible because you know, i saw that one movie like quest for fire or whatever where they, can't, they don't even talk the whole movie's grunt or whatever and yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you think about it like before a sophisticated language what are you gonna do to talk like it's probably like cats and shit the cats be singing to get my attention they know it's up <laughs> that's why i said that's why i questioned what came first was it music or was it language mm. because we're more inclined where it's easier to make sound when when babies are born they're not speaking language but they're making sound so those sounds are, are relatable and then you learn sounds and then of course you develop languages right so how primitive is fucking music it's that fucking primitive dude we're born singing we're born crying crying is singing you know <laughs> ah, that's a good way to put it though you're right yeah so like how is how is the political system i guess like how is it like so you get elected and when do you get elected well it depends right so some communities two-year term some it's three-year term some are four years and um that really depends uh on the community and um the system that's in play um there's nominations there's usually nominations about two and a half months before the election date and the nominations come in and then you have a period of a couple of weeks in order to accept your nomination or to de decline your nomination. And then after that, your name's in the hook. Politic in time, baby. So now it's time to start gathering your so votes. When, your did, when did you get elected? Uh, first time I was elected was in 2009, August 20th, I believe. So you were the chief during the Harper times. Yes, I was. I had brought a delegation. I brought two busloads of people from... Giskabigia and Listiguj to uh, Parliament Hill. Two busloads of people to protest during I don't know more in the whole event, man. I was constantly blocking shit. I was a pain in the ass. That's what I do. <laughs> it's my job. That's a cool thought. So, like, as a politician, in a sense, one of your bigger mandates is to obstruct Canada when necessary. Yeah. See, I was in a different position than uh, other council members, uh, colleagues of mine that were there, in the sense that 
I didn't need any financial. I, I refuse to be paid. I refuse to be paid. I, I served two years and I refused to get paid for anything I did. I said, nope, that's not, I was elected here to bring help. I have an income. I have a business. I don't need it. So I'm not going to be paid for this. That provides uh, money for other people in the community, right? And so what I would do is uh, even it's, I wouldn't take a salary, but there was a uh, mandatory, just for their books, their accounting, um, an honorarium per month. And at that time, I think it was $750. And um, so that $750, I would sign over every time to the lunch program in my community for the kids at school. I never took a penny. As long as they're not paying you, they can't own you. You know, facts, you know, so they can't tell me I was out of line. They can't tell me I can't do that shit. Fuck you. You ain't paying me. Do what I want. And so as long as you get elected then and you have no financial ties to the system, you and you have the skills and acclimate because you can't make your own money. And evidently you got like a machine, so you don't even have to put the real time as much to be as present, not to say time in, but as present at each like location, so to speak. Well, it, it's different, right? I actually have the liberty. My my uh, being an entrepreneur gives me more time to put where I want to put it, right? So if I need to put it in a certain place at a certain time, that's what I'll do. Then I'll move it back over here. Of course, when you're starting a business, it doesn't work like that, right? right? Your full fucking time is in there. It's in there. But once you get your stuff established and things are working well, that liberates time. Wealth is not money. It's liberty, right? Having that ability to liberate and give time to the things that are important. And that's what I've always done. And that's what I do. So you basically create businesses. You're, you're like the YouTube guy that talks about the recurring revenue and figures out the streams, except you're doing it like the honest, like actually doing it way. I do it on the, the, the feet, man. I do it on the ground. And I... and. Um, I, I don't know what guy you're referring to. No, I just to. mean like because you hear these ads on YouTube and they're like, man, you can get all these recurring revenues and free up all your time and do this, that, the next thing. And you're like, nah, you actually achieved the life that these guys sell but via like actually doing it through the hard work route of creating successful businesses that you specialize in. Because if I'm not mistaken, you went as far as custom cooking and like you dug up secrets yeah. and invented shit that was necessary to like add finesse. That can't be a cheap experience, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it can be. No, I meant like, it, so from a price know, point, you can charge a lot more for something that's really dope than for something that's more common. That's what yeah, I was trying know, to convey. Pretty, yeah, but for those things, when I do that, when I'm cooking salmon and I'm doing, because I do this in a lot of events. Like I, I've served salmon. Uh, I've served 150 pounds of salmon at Parliament Hill in Quebec, at Parliament, uh, right in front of Parliament, not Parliament Hill at the Gwe Festival in Quebec City, okay, where I'm cooking at a logs and doing this and I'm serving people. And I had the organization only pay for the costs. I'll go and do it because it's educating people, it's sharing, it's cultural showing. It, Damn, that's people, like... you know? So I don't need to get paid for that. When I go into schools, when schools call me in to go and do workshops, I do hip hop workshops, I do workshops on, on history. When I go into Bishop's uh, University or universities in Montreal to give uh, history lessons or anything, when I'm going to do these things, they always offer me money and I always take the money and put it back in their school program because that's where it's needed. You know, I know where I am financially. I'm not money motivated. For me, I'm motivated by the, the change, by, by the outcome. You know, I need... I, I need measurable results. 
I need to see that there was a difference and that's my payment. So when I talking to students and explaining something and I see they get it, they understand it, that's measurable for me. That means we started here and now you know something, right? And I know that you're gonna be able to pass that on. I can measure that. The money, you ain't gonna measure that. You're gonna be dead one day and it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, I just gotta like parrot what Layla Mack just said. Q is the definition of a stand-up man. Pure awesomeness in class. I'm like, damn, man. Like, every answer, (laughs) you're just like... But the thing is, it's like, again, it's like you're like a manifestation of a lot of these principles that, like, these books be preaching, where it is, like, the altruistic tendency to give back is really what creates the law of attraction that propels you forward. I mean, I usually spin it with a more capitalistic sense because it's just how my brain processes the world. But like, ultimately, even good business is based on providing fundamental needs and like, you know, actually being useful and isn't just about like vapid upscaling and shit like that. So it's like, I hear everything you're saying and it just makes sense about how to create a collective system that lets everybody prosper. And I'm really into information sharing. Like to me, that's the biggest thing that I find weird is how like people kind of hoard knowledge sometimes when we should be like funneling that down. But like you find these academics and I know it's not everybody, but there's a lot of people I've met that got like doctorates and things and they'd be like wildly, yo, these people didn't put in the 10 years to learn what I learned. So F them, I'm a jargon this so deep that ain't nobody ever going to learn it. You're so fucking right when you say that. And it's frustrating, man, because knowledge, we don't own that shit. And it, it doesn't belong to us. It's passed down. It's it's borrowed, right? So something like that is borrowed. Mm. You gotta keep back. We don't own it. We borrow it. And you got to make sure. When you're dead, if you own that shit, if you own it in here, when you're dead, so is anything that you fucking thought. Anything that you knew, it's dead if you didn't share it. So... Yo, that's a wild way to put it. Like, he just took it and was like, look, if you're really selfish about your shit, bro, be a little more egotistical and put that into the universe because you don't want it to be like Ghost. That's right. That's nifty. I love the way your mind works, dude. This is super interesting stuff. Yeah, man, that's cool. I I fucking love the conversation, man. So, like, okay, so you get in in 2009 and your job is effectively to go represent your people in the most meaningful way to create systemic change, which we've established is long-term annoying protests. Well, not just that. So when I was there, I worked on a lot of different things. Uh, So I worked on cultural activities, uh, rejuvenation of culture. So uh, if you come to Giskabigia, if you look up Giskabigia, my community online, you'll find our powwow grounds. It's beautiful. It's alongside the bay and whatnot. It used to be in the like on a basketball court in, in the center of the community and it wasn't very inviting so i put in a lot of work and in and there's a lot of process into it and established a new powwow ground uh that represents our nation it's indigenous driven uh there's a, a fisher a fish market there like a poissonry down there there's the co-op to sell crafts everything is right there it's beautiful. So things like this, economic development is very, very important because by providing these things, by, by creating businesses that are owned by the community, well, you're employing people in your community. And now people are now working and that's money in the community and they're, they're you know, providing things to the kids. So economic development is crucial. Housing, crucial. Um, youth activity, sport, all of these things, services, crucial. So I worked on all of these things right to um, energy levels. So I worked on the uh, 
Yeah, did you just say, hold on, right to energy level. This is like because y'all don't have the same level of power that like I can just indiscriminately waste all the power I want and there's just a little fee next to that. No, no, in sense of, okay, back in 2009, 2010, and 11, this is when wind power was starting to get really big and uh, really starting to be an economic boom and, you know, a green energy for the province. And Pauline Marois at that time was really investing in there. So in the Gaspé Z, we've seen these wind parks going up all over the place, these wind farms. I was like, I want a piece of this fucking pie. That's our territory. We need this. So worked with uh, the community of Gaspé, my community, Gaspé, and in Listigoj, we all worked together. And we put forward and we worked hard as a team, as a unit, as a nation. And we established our own uh, wind park. So it was a $400 million project where we didn't have a pot, fucking pot to piss in. So we had to go out and find business partners from Energex and all of these different big companies, convince them that it was a good investment and that it was going to be beneficial to my community and to your business and that it was good for politics. And I was working with Pauline on this one pretty hard. And she, she's actually not a bad person. I'll give her that. And um, <laughs> you, we you might be the first person I've ever heard be like, you know, I yeah, get she, it. She's not a bad person. He, politics, <laughs> you can't take uh, personally. That's just, that's business. And, uh, but we established 150 megawatt wind uh, project that's in Gespegawagi now. It's called Miskikukjusen. In our language, it means big wind. And that's generating money now for years. And it's coming back to our community to provide services. That's own source revenues. And you know what's so strong about that? Own source revenues? That means we don't fucking need government. We don't need permission to put money into programs. This is money that we generate ourselves. We see a problem in our community that needs assistance. And we you, take our and you establish that private outside the government. Yeah, that, that is a business corporation. We have our own business corporation for that. And that belongs to the communities. And that generates money for the communities. That generates autonomy for our communities. That gives us peace of mind that we can provide services to our people without the government ever fucking trying to intervene or give us a hard time. And that's where we need to be on every level. Right. That's a wild thought that y'all, and how, how long did it take for you to create or to organize $400 million or whatever of funding? Four years. It was the last project I worked on. I, I promised that I wouldn't leave until it was done. And uh, we signed the contract in April of 2013. And I finished my mandate in August 2013. So so you were just like done with politics after that. You had your giant, mm. giant legacy, though, because that's one hell of a legacy. Yeah, there's that. And there's a few other things. You know, I was active. I, I think my, my the things that I'm most proud of, though, were activities that we're doing with the youth in the community. We uh, had invested into community uh, canoes, right? So uh, youth in the community could just come and grab canoes and go canoeing when they wanted. They had tents, they had camping trips available. They had all of these things to keep them busy. Fucking idle ha hands are the devil's playground, man. If you don't stay busy, you're gonna get in trouble. So That's this facts. is what we have. It's yeah, like, so. you gotta have youth centers and programs and opportunities for people to be to... active in it I, I see too many communities having the fucking places but not active in them you can't mm. just have a building and expect that to babysit your kids you need active people who are going to work with the youth who care about the youth and are going to take them and and give them some life life lessons and some cultural 
knowledge. It's important. That is important. I mean, I don't know a lot about how to manage a youth center. I do know it's complicated, but it does require investment and good people that want to be there. Otherwise, it could lead to some bad shit. Absolutely. And that's why you got to have a close eye on it. You got to have a good team and you got to form it. So how do you, okay, that's an interesting point. So you're running up on a government system. How do you avoid, let's say, the corruption side of things? How do you keep your eye on it? So I guess on your front, cool, you're not bought, but then you still have this team of people and you have to work with them. Hold them accountable. That's all. Be truthful. Be, don't be afraid to say the truth when you're in front of people. One thing people fucking knew in the team that I was with is when it came time to speak to the community, because we had a lot of community meetings. I, I was very, very adamant about making sure we had community meetings all the time because I don't want anybody wondering. That's the worst fucking place to be. You need to be able, people need to know what's going on. And if you've got a problem showing your community what you're doing, there's an issue. So I would never do that. And I would tell people, you know what? If you don't come to the community meeting, if you're not sitting up there with me to answer questions and explain what the fuck you're doing, you can rest assured you won't be sitting in that seat very fucking long, you know? Mm. And uh, so that's how you get them there. You hold them accountable. And when people want to talk that shady shit, you just say, look, fuck, we'll talk about it in front of everybody. <laughs> that's all. And the only way to do this then is to not be bought. Because then you have the ability to do it. The only way, and um, not just that. I, I believe we have a lot of people who are not just run uh, off of money. We just need more of them to... No, get but to why I say it like that is because I learned a lot about the difference between private and publicly traded companies recently. A privately right. traded, a private company is accountable to whoever owns the company. So let's say you got a dope ass owner person. Y'all can basically have a carte blanche as long as shit makes money. The second you're publicly yeah. traded, you're accountable to stockholders of whatever country you're publicly traded in. And I like my day jobs in France. So imagine it's France norms, you know, like, and the thing is, is mm. when you guys make decisions, the politics you represent, like all the different things, it isn't like you said about what's right or wrong. It boils down to are the shareholders going to benefit off of the decision that you're making? And that's the that's, that's every decision that you make the second you go public because the board has to approve shit and the board only cares about that. So private is fascinating to me because in a sense it's ownership in the way that you're describing and it lets you make decisions, which is why like even for my shit, it's going to take me forever to get to where I want, but nobody's paid for it but me. So I can sit here and smoke my weed, talk my shit and be as whatever I want to be to my benefit or dismay. The only people that will finance me is the people watching and myself. And if they want to donate, cool. But I'm not like, that's not the business model. I have other business models I can do to figure out shit, you know, like that's, right. and I think that allows me to explore truth like this without consequence. Cause you yeah. could say pretty much whatever you need to say. And I'm like, let's talk. <laughs> Because this is nifty. Yeah. Who else is going to tell me about this shit? Yeah. And, and that's really cool. And, and you know what? That's really what it is, right? So a, a public trading company is, in a sense, much like running a community, right? So you are accountable to the people and you have questions. To, if you want to pass things, people got to know. Things got to be found out. But that's not always the case. It depends on the community you go to. And um, I've, I've seen, I've witnessed, I've experienced having a terrible council and having a, a council that... Uh, has bad intentions 
you know i've experienced it i've seen it in my own community and it's um it's hard to deal with it's very very frustrating and um so that's why it's so important for people and i'll, and I'll say this over and over i know a lot of people hate to hear it when i say this but the best one of the best ways to have your fucking voice heard is to hit the fucking poll and vote there's too many times people are not getting out there they're saying, ah, oh, well, fuck, they just did this and now I got no say. And then suddenly the thing, you know, uh, it's always the same stuff anyway, but you're always treated like shit. Change the fucking say. If, if that's what you got to do for now, I'm not saying it's the best way to do it. But if there's a prick that's sitting in a seat that shouldn't be in that seat, talk to your friends, talk to the people who are affected by it. Go over there at the poll, vote, get his ass out of there, put someone there you can trust and and then see, uh, find ways to, to make change. There's got to be. But if you just keep those decision makers in there who are constantly fucking you in the ass and you're not trying to fucking get them out of there, it's almost like you get like get fucked in the ass, you know? So you, you got to do something in order to make that change. Sometimes you got to knock them the fuck out of that seat. You know? So I completely agree with you, right? But on the other hand, I got involved in local politics last year because I was curious. Right. So I started interviewing local politicians to get a scope of what shit was going on. And I thought about who I wanted to vote for and this, that, the next thing. And, bro, it's wild. First of all, nobody votes. Like, we're saying, we're talking, like, my community's NDG Cote Neige. We're 160,000 people, and it's like 28% of us voted in a good year, which is fucking wild to think about, right? But that means motherfuckers be winning elections on, like, numbers of votes where if all the drunk 18-year-olds got together as a joke, could elect homeboy and win. Like, it's yep. actually that fucking wild that I thought about it, and I don't know if I want to do it because I don't want to win. But I thought about joke running. But then you might win, and it's a scary thought because you're fucking stuck with that shit now. Yeah, yeah. Now you, now you got a job. And um, there, there's... You know, when we're talking about that, it's really, really uh, interesting to talk about um, majority governments and whatnot. You know, Legault won the last election. With, I think thirty-eight uh, percent of the voting population voted. Thirty-eight percent. He got a majority out of thirty-eight percent, so he got less than twenty percent of the voting population in Quebec in order to be majority government. How fucking crazy is that? He doesn't represent. Every fucking voter that got there, all those parties that receive votes together don't represent Quebec. How the fuck do we have somebody there with less than 20% mm. of the approval rate of majority voters as the decision maker in this fucking place? Whose fault is that? We don't go out and fucking vote. That's our fucking fault. The, this is my is also just We just got to throw in that one other part if we're going to talk about Quebec. The map, yeah. bro. Because, yo, like, the reality is, is Montreal never voted Legault. Absolutely not. And that's half and the population in Quebec, or a, a giant chunk of it in the greater Montreal area is, like, there. And, okay, fine, you leave, like, fucking Quebec. Maybe some of Laval might have voted for Legault. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is, like, yo, Quebec's, like, 8 million people, and the largest chunk is almost so underrepresented that it creates this futility of voting when your vote isn't worth as much as the dude that's up in Nord du Québec. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is my take on voting in, mm. in a democracy. In order for a democracy to be successful, you cannot have a majority government. Okay. This is my idea. Because this way, it forces 
all the parties to sit down and have consensus. And consensus is a democracy. When people have to sit down, negotiate, understand, and agree to something. But when we need to come to a vote that requires consensus, you know, or, or, or requires majority, sorry, um, it's a whole different game. So five out of nine makes a decision. That means you have four people that are fucking pissed, right? But if you had to come to consensus on the, on, on the issue, if you had to fucking agree on the issue, that changes everything, right? So by having minority governments in power, those places have to agree with each other. They have to talk. They have to make arrangements that are best for all Quebecers, all Canadians, all Americans, whatever the fuck it be. And just like this to add to that, that's actually pretty commonplace in non-North America. Like that is how most European countries work. Like the UK government's fucking wild. There's like 18 parties and coalitions. The Israeli government's insane. It took them like five elections to react to, you know, like we're kind of the weirdos with our systems over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fucking dumb. But we can fix that as voters. We can. This is what I would like to see in the upcoming election. Uh, I think it's October 5th. Is that it? Somewhere. It's in October. Now, what I would love to see is indigenous communities show up to vote. Okay. Just in the swing areas, just in those, those counties where the conservatives won by two, 300 votes. Okay. Over, I don't give a fuck what party it is. If it's liberals, green party, I don't give a fuck what it is. Okay. But that community just vote for the competitor of the CAC, you know, just so they lose their their counties, so they lose majority government eventually. Where there's Yo, still there's got to be a way to. Okay, I'm gonna be real with you. That can work if you make it fucking easy for people. What I mean is, people are gonna have all kinds of excuses because I'm really into this idea. You're getting my brain going in like strategy mode now. Like my whole tone changed and shit. So like, if we created a website that was able to like load up the shit and say this is who you vote for if you're going against the CAC for the next majority the whatever whatever then people could just look the day of and go okay that's who i have to go to vote for that might work because motherfuckers be wildly lazy like you create an email notification system that fucking sends them fucking notifications the day of and shit almost an app like yeah. develop uh, yeah that would work that would bother that people that would be the scariest thing for politicians to vote however against. people have to be registered to vote like now like they have to get that's that it. shit fucking taken care of like now because they will fuck you up day of election type shit they will make it so impossibly hard for you to get that dealt with if you wait till like a couple of weeks for when your voting card don't come in yeah i want to get back to the music part of this and talking about voting and talking about oh yeah for sure this is an important link that i'm going to try and make right now hip-hop the seeds, the origins is about social change. It's about creating change. It's about the issues that need to be addressed. It's about bringing them to the world. It's about dealing with shit, right? So those issues. So it's always been a science in there that there's always been a truth about it to, to fixing your community, right? Of course, gangster rap came after, but let's talk about uh, where it's coming from, all right? And, and now let's look at right now, this summer, I have a bunch of shows coming up. This is what I would like to do. Is the shows that I, I have coming up at the festivals I'm playing. I'd love to see voter registration tables set up. Fucking hey, I like okay? that. Youth can come in. I don't care what age you are, but you're at the concert tonight, and we have two people working these tables just to take voter registration. And me as an artist doing my responsible thing and on the mic saying, "You motherfuckers want change? You want to cack out of this motherfucker? Please go to the booth. Please register to vote." 
Please be ready. The election is here in October and we're changing the fucking world together. That's using art to change politics within your community with hip hop. Yeah, that might have been one of the hottest whatever amount of time that was of my whole Twitch. That was hot. Bro, that idea is next level. That's what I believe needs to happen. And that's what I intend on doing. Uh, I got to get the right people in motion, making this happen in the different counties and the different places. But that's what I'd like to do. So, yo, hold on. DJ Magnanimous just came in and said, do we trust the voting system, though? We don't, but we don't trust the CAC. And so the idea is, do you really want this government in charge? And, I, and honestly, DJ Magnanimous, did you know that Quebec judges no longer have to speak English? Did you know that that's a real thing that got snuck in recently? Like, yo, arguably, almost sometimes... Sometimes, okay, here's another angle that we, we, we didn't even talk about. So I learned about uh, how there are investors who will put money behind candidates if they believe that that person will get elected. So here's what would happen if all of a sudden, I don't know, 20,000 people voted that never voted before. You would become the new majority that gets catered to in the next election because all of a sudden the data. So all of a sudden politicians will be talking to millennials like you've never seen before. All of a sudden the, the doc, everything would get stacked with us because they would think you vote. Did you know that they don't go to anybody but people with houses with kids because they're the only people that vote? So it's the circular system of advertising where unless you're a homeowner with kids, you're never even spoken to. And they couldn't do it differently, but why would they? Because there's no yeah. investment. So what you would do is be on the docket creating stats that would be actionable in a data-centric world because unlike all times in the past, numbers rule everything around us now. And just having that shift, and you could co-sign this is true, would be enough to make the investments change. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think that should we be skeptical? We need to always be skeptical. We need to always, always never trust the system. Facts. That's how we keep it honest. That's how we keep it honest. We're going to see things going on that we're going to need change. When we're creating change, we're going to see things that, oh, fuck, are unforeseen and that are going to be hard to make smooth. That's fine. That's how it's supposed to be done. That's how change is created. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be easy. But we got to do something about it because you know what's worse than having to go through the uncomfortable uh, emotion of change, the worst thing you could do is sit idle in a fucking cesspool. All I'm saying is when you look at it from a stat point of view, it looked like young people don't vote. When you talk to the politicians directly, they go, I want to talk to the young people, but they don't vote. And like everybody seems to want the young people to vote, including the politicians who are almost begging them to vote so they can represent them properly to the people with money. And I don't know why. I don't know how to make an 18-year-old give a shit about voting. Maybe what, you're pro I, I think, what you proposed I think what is actually one of the hottest ideas I've ever heard. Like make it cool through hip-hop or some shit. <laughs> and, and make it cool in the sense that you don't have to fucking vote conservative you don't have to vote liberal you don't have to vote ndp there's other fucking parties there too if that more suits your, your there's usually the even independence in most places yeah the the goal in your mind should not be having a, a majority government it should always be calculated in a way to prevent uh, a majority government you know that's the way it is. You want fair treatment? Those companies 
they're running liberal parties and conservative parties. These are old parties with a lot of money's tied into industry. They don't give a fuck about you. Okay, they give a fuck about industry. So keep that in mind, but keep them accountable. And if you, if you don't vote, you can't hold them accountable. It's really, really a, a weird system. But if people were to be more loud, it, what gets me sometimes is I see a lot of people who show up at protests that I attend who never attend a, a poll, never go voting. And why take the time to be freezing outside with me on the streets if you don't take the five minutes to, to vote? Because that vote is just like... And actually, I know there's this stigma about voting taking a long ass time, but that's like deaded for so long that it's not really a real thing, at least here. We'll wait fucking two hours in line to get fucking weed at the weed shop. But bro, like the last eight elections I did were like so in and out that like there's just nobody there. You walk up, maybe there's like four old people and you're in line and then you walk in and it's this empty auditorium and there's just nobody yeah. ever there and nobody's ever and voting. It's yeah. always old people. Well, Imagine, you were talking about an app a while ago. As long as those people are in power right now, there will never be an easy app for us to vote because they prefer that well, the young people don't So vote. here's the but one thing I can say to counter that is, and it's something I've thought a lot about because there are resources and like if people like you and I created the resources outside the government, then you have the added benefit of goodness. Like for some reason... The city of Montreal just really doesn't want to invest in their website to make it good or easy so that you can find all this shit. I don't know if it's negligence, if it's old people, or if it's deliberate, or if it's all three. But I think old people is the real answer, to be honest with you, because the average age of politicians is like old. Like we're talking grandma. They're like begging young people to go into politics and none of us want to. I get it. Um, For sure. But, like, but if we can get in there, if we get enough young people voting for change and, and, and voting for candidates who are perhaps younger and with new ideas, eventually we'll have those apps. Stay the fuck home and vote. You know, whatever the fuck it be. Well, what I, I meant vote. more is an informational app. So, like, let's say the government's not going to create an informational app. Like, we can just document the process and create the app. Like, apps aren't right. that hard to make anymore. I don't know the actual level of effort. I'm spitballing an idea, but <laughs> yeah, arguably yeah, this could be created if people wanted to organize and do it. And then it would be like, and I'm sure there's even websites already that just have all this shit ready to go. Like, are you registered to vote? And it checks the database. Okay. If not, here's how you do it. Okay. If not. And then as far as people to vote for, that's just basic math shit. It's like an easy ass thing to create. So like all of this is simple to do. It's just a matter of having that group of people to want to do it. Cause most of us get these ideas. We run solo, we get tired and not many of us are good at upscaling our lives into businesses in the way that you are. So it's hard to, to find those passionate people to work together to create these bigger ideas. But that's kind of it's cool that you've said all this because it's really inspired me because I was kind of like loafing on some of this political stuff. Like, I don't know what to do with it. But just even talking to you is like, yeah, I suppose we, we should be trying. Can't be forgetting about this shit. Quebec is having an election and nobody's going to give a shit about it again. <laughs> yeah. And it, that scares me, man. And it's it scares me. Like I said, probably because I have kids, you know, and they're growing up through it. Right now, I got my oldest boy's going to be 21 years old, man. He's living in Montreal. He's 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 going. He's in a law program right now, so he's studying over there. 
my niece is over there. My niece, my niece is like my sixth child. I've been taking her in since she was 14 years old. But she's in university over there now. I have another one who graduates next year. And then the year after that, I have another boy who's graduating. And they're going to have to deal with all the decisions that these fucking assholes make. Facts. You know? You know, they're going to have to deal with any decision for students, their their lives that they're going to be, you know, just starting out as young adults. I think it's important. It's important that we hold those people accountable for, for that generation. I think it's my responsibility. Anyway. I definitely feel that. I don't want to forget your music career because, like, arguably that's – a huge reason why you're here and i mean we're yeah. 90 minutes deep now and don't get me because usually it goes the other way usually we do the music shit and flip into the super awesome part my favorite part's always after that part where we get into the good shit but like your life is the good shit and then the music starts which is like okay that's wild and so you said that 2018 is when you started you had to unfortunately wait for your father to pass which is the situation due to the relationship of family structure and the influence that he has also the respect you have for him because that's respect on your end which is respectable honestly yeah cultural respect and and um cultural obligation you know that that's how it is this is what he's seen and that's what i did and um actually when i left politics he was very very upset with me he was pretty angry you know because that wasn't what i was supposed to do i was supposed to be there forever and i was like nope can't do it so he already sensed that i was going to just do my own thing right, right. so it, even though it took a little bit longer than it should have you know but that's the way it goes but yeah so in 2018 that's when i said fuck this uh there's no restraints there's no holding back and uh, i'm gonna say exactly what i want to do i believe if he was here he would have understood the route I was down mm. for now. You know what I mean? Like he'd understand, cause I'm still dealing with the issues. I'm still tackling all of the problems, but just through a different lane. That's all. Um, I get invited out onto TV and uh, like places like Latour with Patrick Huard and whatnot to go and talk about issues of indigenous things. I had the friggin' um, minister of indigenous affairs from Quebec on that show. And I called him out and I told him straight to his face. I said, you shouldn't even have that job. Mm. Shouldn't I? I don't know why you got that job. And th there was a indigenous woman, Michelle Odette, that was sitting right next to him. I said she should have the job. She's fucking the one that should have the job, not a white guy telling us what we're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like that—that's always the case we have. This is a non-indigenous person telling us how to work. But point being, I'm as an artist, I'm still involved in the politics. I'm still creating the change, and I think at a uh, at a faster pace than I was in politics. So, yeah, with art. I can see how that makes sense, though, because arguably you get to have influence in a very different capacity, but it's cooler. I mean, I don't know that as a politician, you could have had the same interview that you would have as a rapper, to be honest. You're, it's, it's completely Absolutely. different. I the political I can't even smoke weed on those ones because it's like you got to have that respect and understanding of what you're dealing with. Like we it's a different vibe. You don't swear the same because you don't know who's watching and you don't want to have that weird ass like the parents judge you shit. But as an artist, you can come through and your music's strong, right? Like you got like straight out fuck the government protests. We coming for you type shit. And it was like yep. unapologetic. <clears throat> Use that term yep. before, but that's and I really like that about it. But how did you like actually migrate into taking it seriously? Like what was the beginning of it? Um, like I said, the beginning is a lot earlier. And, um, so working with Music Nomad, uh, which is an organization, it's a nonprofit organization out of Montreal. Um, 
they're a cousin of Wapconi, which also creates uh, videos with indigenous communities. So Music Nomad goes and they create music, produce music with indigenous artists uh, across the province. Even now they're branching off to other provinces. So I had already been working with Music Nomad way back in 2010. Their first gig was in Giscabigia when they first established this, this uh, Music Nomad thing. Uh, the, the director at that time contacted me and said, look, uh, we'd like to do this. Are you interested? I said, come on down and uh, managed to put uh, 11 artists from Giscabigia from my community on record. They, they each, you know, produced some music and everything was good. That sort of was their uh, breakthrough as Music Nomad. They used the production there as their promo to go and do other communities. And then it started getting stronger and bigger. And now it's very, very big. And they work with a lot of artists and they do all kinds of stuff. So I had already known Music Nomad. They already knew me. And uh, they knew that I was already interested in music in the productions at home. I would help the artist because I still had an ear and I do a lot of writing and poetry. So I would help them out as we went. So they knew I was already always into that. Right. So when uh, it was time for me to record, I already had a shit ton of songs. I mean, you can imagine 20 years of songs and material and shit that you might have been writing just to yourself. Um, so I just called them up and I said, look, it's time to make some music. Let's do it. That was it. And then, <clears throat> and it was at a time of uh, political uh, uncertainty within my community and politically with uh, with federal elections and the whole bit. And I just felt like, all right, I need to use this platform in order to do what I've always done. So you start recording and you start publishing your music, music videos, and it's politically motivated. So your goal is to, is to share a message. How do you actually go about promoting it? Um. That's the harder part, right? It's not very easy to promote that type of music. It's really hard to get that in there, especially from an indigenous community, because in my music, I call out band councils as well. And I'll call them crooks. And I'll call them government puppets. And I'll call the people who are being corrupt, corrupt. I call them fucking spade, spade. And that's how it is. But I do that federally. I do that locally. I do that eventually. It doesn't matter. If you fucking feel like I'm pointing at you, that's you who got something to fucking answer to yourself. You know what I mean? I'm not writing towards anybody, but if the shoe fits, fucking wear it. Um, so it's hard for people in indigenous communities to listen to that if you are the one in power. So let's say if I want to go on tour on reserves and I've got some music that is really strong against chief and council, they're not necessarily going to want me in their fucking community saying some of the shit I say that makes them look bad. You know what I mean? So it, it's kind of hard to fit into uh, a place. But I understand that I don't have a specific niche. I just do what I do. And sometimes people like to hear it. Some people are woke enough to understand it. Some people are not. Some people don't want to hear that shit. And I'm okay with that. Like I said, I generate my revenues from other sources. I have businesses. So I don't rely on this as an income rely on it as a platform for change and, and, and sharing a message. Have you ever like toured outside the reserves? Yeah, shit. Willie and I went over to fucking France, man. We were over there in 2019, right, Will? I don't know if Willie's still there, but Willie and I went up to, uh, to France. We toured all over there into Kemper and uh, in Bretagne. I think that's what they call it, Bretagne. So we're over there. I've been, uh, yeah, played music a little bit all over the place, so. It's pretty cool. Nah, it is super cool. Um, and you basically, because you started in 2018 and you got to go to France like the year after. Yeah. Because Willie's set up. 
for that? No, no. Um, right. I, I had a, like, I was always, like I'm saying, like I was always involved with community um, organizers okay. and here and there. So, so you so, just have the yeah, network. They, yeah. And they just approached me. They're like, Hey, there's an availability to go to France. You interested? And I was like, fucking Willie and I had uh, met at a few venues in Montreal. We didn't even know each other. We're just passing by and we're like, and then that's how we got to know each other. And then, okay. um, yeah, then we just, it was like, Hey, you want, Oh, our first tour actually was in the Gaspésie together. Before we went to France, there was myself, uh, Willie day by. No way. Uh, I'm about to meet yeah. day by for the first time on Saturday. Cause we got booked at the same shit. And I know the guy from the internet, but I never like met him, met him. Yeah, yeah. So we, we did a, a tour in the Gaspésie the first time. I think like maybe four shows or something like that because the Gaspésie is pretty spread out. And uh, yeah, after that, there was the uh, opportunity to go to France. So called Willie and uh, the Beat Vandals. And uh, that's what we did. We went to France. It was really cool. It was fun. And yeah. so um, so I guess then COVID kicks in and obstructs like the, the whole live event life for the last two years fucking killed it dude uh, i had a new album that came out in november i think of 2019 or, or 2000 yeah i think it was i'm, I'm so lost in, you know, november of uh 2019 gamazi my album came out and we were set to go on tour in the in the uh springtime of march and of course everything shut so, down uh you just dropped the imagination project if i'm not mistaken that was pretty recent um yeah, march 18 yeah which Honestly, it's a really cool project. I like your use of skits a lot. They really added ambiance and it said a lot of different things. And kudos to you for like bragging about your mom, not just doing a mom song, bragging about your mom and shit. That was really fun. But like, cool, thank you. Tell us a bit, I guess, about the project and how you got to that point of creating it. And I guess, did you drop it now because the world opening up and you can go to her again? Actually, man, I was fucking itching for like you know you give an artist two fucking years of not doing much or not being able to or almost opening up to do something and then closing the fucking door again so it's been a while that i had working on the fucking project and um actually i ended up making three projects i have three albums coming out in the next couple months so it's uh just boom 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 so imagination was the first one that was coming out and it, i wanted it to be a collaborative uh a collaboration album with artists who I respect a lot and people uh, who I just think are beautiful people. They, they really represent something in their communities, in their nation, and uh, they have good values. And so I really wanted to make a project with these people. And uh, so there's, there's Willie Scandals in there. There's Hyper T, who's an Inuk rapper from, from the North. Uh, Simon Nevin, who's a Mi'kmaq uh, drummer. There's Sensei H, who's uh, Algerian. You know, she's um, a barbarian descent. You know, she's really cool. Yo, she's here in Quebec. Ill. I saw her live one time. Fucking flawless. Crush that shit. Like, she is amazing. Yeah, she's uh, she's and she's a sweetheart of a person. Wendigo is on there. Stun is on there. David Strickland himself is on there, and Strickland produced all the out. You know, the all of the beats. He did the mixes on it. Uh, the mastering were done by and the mastering and all the interludes. Um, were done by Emmanuel Alias, who's my drummer and my producer, and also the the lead man of his own band called Alias. So um, he did uh, the the mastering on the album. He's involved on everything I do. He's, he's like a brother to me, and um, 
so yeah, this this album meant a lot to me. I think we I wanted to deal with some issues. Uh, obviously, imagination. The song itself, it's like imagine it's written nation, right? Imagination. So all of these different individuals from different indigenous nations coming together to make an album, uh, speaking on on the same album, I thought was uh, a collective idea of change, right? And so we're addressing systemic change. We're addressing the issue of murdered and missing indigenous women, drugs, uh, lateral violence. It's it's all in there, you know? So suicides, it's it's all in there. Yo, so the I suicide like hotline skit? Yeah. That's a real one. Yeah, it's fucked, dude. But um, so that's it. I, I, I like to talk about taboo shit. If you don't want to talk about it, there's a good chance I want to talk about it. I mean, I feel that. Like, to me, it's not, like, taboo. It's just you spitting on societal issues that need to be talked about. But then, like, okay, yeah, but I'm taboo. So I'm like, okay, no, if I'm not into it, it's probably not that safe for work. It's, yeah, it's in that NSFW spit that real shit. Like, ain't nobody want to talk about how the resources are bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you like, know I've, had, I've had friends tell me, you know, I've had other uh, fellow hip hoppers tell me, dude, why don't you just spit that fun shit, man, fucking talking about issues. I'm like, well... Mm. I'm having fun in life already, man. But I, I, I feel the responsibility to use that for that, you know. So uh, that's why. That's. But I do, I do make some fun tracks. But you'll hear them on another album. I mean, I think it's always important to show that revolutionaries can have fun, actually. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like something I think people forget about. If you're hard all the time and you never smile, like it's actually like nobody want to be that. Which is, which is a weird thing to say, but like. So I think a lot about the artist marketings and <clears throat> the branding. Yeah. And I went through the phase where I realized that maybe I need fun songs and maybe I need this songs. And yeah. I found there's just ways to, to just showcase it and, and do it in your own style that stays true to your value. But that's hard. And that's why a lot of yeah. people want to do vapid fun songs. But like, yo, you could like turn up to rebellion. Some of my favorite turn up songs are like, yo, do you actually listen to what they're saying on this? That's some wild shit. Like when you could trick them, yeah. that like, like I, it's a terrible example. But have you ever listened to "Party Up" by DMX? Like, have you ever actually listened to that shit? Like this Not guy, really listen to it because it's, it's like, like fucking straight up killing you on every fucking bar, but you're turning up at the club <laughs> to it. It doesn't make sense. But you could do the same thing with politics. Like it's kind of like what Public Enemy was doing. They might have been a cooler example because they'd be like turning up to politics. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. But I, I found a way to do it. Like, like I said, you know, uh, when I'm out touring, when I'm when I'm out doing shows, I'm there with a band, mm. you know, because my soul is rock and roll, and and, uh, and I love the sound of the real instruments, right? And and I love the vibe of being with a tribe on stage, and and the communication that's going on when I'm out there with my band, and changing things up on the fly. You know how it is. Sometimes you just want to change something up and you're feeling that vibe right there where you can't necessarily do it with the beat maker, you know, just with the press nah, play. You just but have with to the press drum, play. That's what you stuck yeah, with. That's right. But when I have my band out there, I can I can feel the vibe and I just say, I want a fucking guitar solo now. And I just point at my guitarist and they just slam onto it, you know, or my keyboard player just do the same thing or the drums, whatever, maybe all together. I had a show in Quebec City last summer I did. I was doing my show and I just fucking they were just slamming it out. So I just lit up a cigarette and I got off stage and I let them fucking jam for for a few minutes. And it was wild. You know, it was just loud and fucking wild. And people were moving everywhere. You know, finished my cigarette. And I came back up and I finished the song. 
you know? So it's it's just that you can do that with a live band that you cannot do with just DJ, you know? And, well, you can, um, okay. you can do that if you have your DJ. You can't do that with a DJ because there is the version of it with your DJ where you guys can set up shit and you can pull that aesthetic off, but it, it probably isn't quite the same as the band. No, I'll give you that. No, no that's for sure. And, but So it's different. But this album, I'm dropping my next album April 22nd. It's called The Storm. And that is fucking loud. And it's, there's, it's pretty fun, too. We just recorded a music video for it this past weekend. And uh, it's a drinking song, you know? And uh, so you're certainly going to see a different side of Q, and um, it, but you see the whole band. The video is fun. It, it's a fucking blast. And that's actually the album that I'm going to be touring because, you know, collaboration album, you can't be with everybody all the right. time. You know? And I got, uh, I think I got like a dozen shows set up. So it's, uh, you know, at these different festivals around Quebec. So it's like, this is going on. I need to have a solid set. So I didn't want to be playing old shit going up on there. So I had to make a new album with the band and just a tour, right? And we're hitting, um, we're hitting issues, obviously, but we're having fun at this one time. I can let you listen to a song. I don't know if you can hear it. Um, I have to set up the way that you can share the, the, I'm going to click some buttons and you'll be able to share, play sound and they'll hear it. But actually, yeah, I, sorry, I have to set up screen sharing for you. And then you have to share your audio with me. So if you click on share screen. What if I just send you the file? Oh, you could do that and it's probably easier. That's facts. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to send it to your messenger right now. Awesome. Uh, I might, yeah, I don't know if messenger is a little. I can figure that it's out. Just like a we, the we transfer. Oh, yeah. We transfer is good. Cool. I can fuck with we transfer. Cool. Send you a we transfer and. You know, people here getting exposed. Bro, you're like uh, mad set up, bro. Coming with the Wii transfers and things. Like, I was like, is he going to send me an audio file right now? And then I have to figure out how to play a voice chat. Nah, he's coming with the Wii transfer. He's talking all that. I got booked all over Quebec in festivals. Man, we all be like, yo, I got the bar hookup coming up this week. You're like, I got like 12 shows lined up. I'm like, that's cool. I'm happy yeah. that like the dude who went through all the politicking and networking shows that by politicking and arguably networking, you can in fact create an entire situation, but also later on in life too, right? That's the more interesting part is because you're not like young. You're just like, I got in the game fucking late and I'm yeah. going to take over. Fuck all of y'all. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just doing, look, I'm just doing what I do. And, and uh, you can call it what you want. I don't give a fuck. I know what I'm doing. I know, I know that much. And I'm having a blast doing it. And I'm proud of what I'm doing. And I think that's important. And it is because arguably you're mission driven. And being mission driven forces you to think outside the box. Like, yo, I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for that mission driven like idea, right? Like, I had to network. So I started interviews because how am I going to get a guy like Q052 to come tell me a story if I don't have a platform or some shit, right? And all things considered, it like cascades into a situation. But I was facing a situation where it's like, yo, I don't know anybody. What am I going to do? <laughs> so you have to start thinking different and you have to start going up because it's like, it's not even about money. I want money because it's a tool, not because I want money. Like, it's like, 
arguably I want to hire like 12 people because I have grandiose dreams. It's not the same thing as I want to get rich. <clears throat> that's that's so accurate, man. I'm happy to hear that. It's so fucking true what you say. Because I do want to go on tour. Hold on, I'm loading a file. It might be loud. I don't know how loud that is. Let me lower that a bit. Is that good for you? I like that. That's fun. Cool. cool. Yeah. So, you know, and we recorded that in like uh, an hour. That's from start to finish, drinking and having fun, right? So that's what happened. Yeah. It's... So there is some music there too, but with a different vibe. Yeah, I think it's important. Revolutionaries got to have fun too. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like that's, I mean, like it sounds like a wild thing, but like even on like a politicking front, if like it could be fun to change the world, more people are going to try to change the world. I know it's like not the – it's hard, but it doesn't have to be miserable, you know? And I think that's something that people are trying to hint at a lot when they're talking to rappers about fun songs is that sometimes things are miserable when they don't <laughs> need to be. Like not everything yeah. is – like you can be angry and with good cause, but like not everybody's angry with good cause in their music. They're just angry yeah. in their music, which is not the same thing. But you definitely have a vibe there. It is absolutely on that country type of stuff where I'm like, oh boy, if that came out on the show, I'm waiting for the next one a little bit. But all things considered, it's really fun. It's really well yeah. made and I can objectively fuck with it. <laughs> Cool, man. I'm happy to hear that. Thank your you. vocal de <laughs> delivery is ridiculous, though. Like you're singing, like the way like you can feel the drunk energy coming out of you, and you know, like, a... <laughs> oh yeah, 
it was it wasn't a lie dude it, it was real you know and uh it was fun but there's there's um that's more of fucking groovy kind of uh like say fine. got that into it yeah it's fun and the other tracks on that album are uh a little bit more ragey a little bit more uh but there's fuck it's really hard to explain because uh it's just something we decided to do you know i feel like i feel like i love how maybe it's because of how you started this off describing how disconnected you were from the world you were kind of had the country whatever and you were forced to get whatever music you could but you weren't like caught up in trends in the same way but it just feels like you're able to not follow conventional genre norms with the way you're approaching your career and I've always fucked with that because I grew up liking a lot of kinds of music. I mean, I love hip hop. It's probably going to be number one on some technicality shit. But like low key punk and EDM are like right next to it. And I love pop music, too. So like it's not like yeah. I'm just into one music. So like I would love to be able to create like all these musics. <laughs> well, why don't you? I mean, why, why do you feel like the? No, I mean, yeah, I you, do. I do. You, but like. I, in my career, I'm, I'm fucking around with whatever I want to do. I have a few lanes, yeah. but like in the sense of it, people don't feel like they can. And yeah. people act weird when you try to. But then the kids are acting really different. The kids are like, Psh, if they don't know what I'm doing next, it's a smart thing. And I'm like, that is a smart thing. Why am yeah. I being predictable? Why are the 20 year olds giving me all this good advice? Let's run it. <laughs> but like, so no nah, i mean i'm with it but people hold themselves back because i think like up until what youtube everybody would go to the department of the store that had the genre they affiliated with in high school and arguably old people and not young people define their cultural identities via genre in a way that young people don't so young people can just like what they want and old people are like I was a punk in high school, so I dressed this way, and I loved these bands because my homeboys did. And that's some real shit. Yeah. That's why you only ever see this weird allegiance shit with old people. You don't have the same phenomenon yeah. with young people because they just like artists or songs. They don't fucking care about the genre like that. Yeah, it don't have to be. It's funny, you know, when you say that. My mom, the the thing that she like, one of the things she repeat all the time, drive her fucking nuts, is you know, like. She'd just tell me straight up. She'd be like, Jesus Christ, can't fit you in any fucking box. You know, it can get you like, it can't get you like into one place or like a category of anything, you know, and, and drive her fucking crazy sometimes, you know, but she said it all the time. So now my big response to my mom all the time when she's like, um, like, so let's say if I'm planning to go back to the gas bay Z, she's like, oh, you coming home? I said, yeah, I'll be coming home next weekend. Oh, when are you coming? Friday or Saturday? I don't know, Friday or Saturday. She was like, well, morning or evening when i'm ready when the kids are in order everybody got their shit in order it was like i won't fit in that box of i have to leave at 7 a.m all my kids have to be packing everything there's a lot of lives doing different fucking things how can i fit all of that into one cookie cutter to say i'm going to be there exactly for this time as far as i'm concerned uh am i going to be missing a meeting am i missing a wedding a funeral a family if it's nothing no i'll get there when i get there you know so uh my mom drives her crazy you know a lot of people they don't like that they that would drive me crazy yeah see i'm like brainwashed I'm just... into structure and my whole life is need actually i have to go socialize now and it's fucking me up i got less like isolated and more communal with my moves but that means i have to talk to people like willie showed up like yo hold it i know it's late but i need this and i'm like fuck i said i would do that 
I know it's late, but let me go do that. And it just, you know, it's what it is. So stuff pops up you can't plan for all the time. But I still love yeah, planning as much as I can. Oh, man. I don't mind the planning, but I, my wife, too, she drives her crazy. And, like, the shoot that we did this weekend, we, <laughs> it's with my band. Uh, there's, you know, so as we're setting up, we're supposed to meet there at 3.30. Of course, the boys show up like quarter after four, but one of the guys shows up at 5.30. You know, and uh, so we do the scenes that we don't need to have everybody in, do all that. My wife is like, what the fuck? He's not here. He's not here. I said, don't worry. He's going to be here when he gets here. I'm okay with that vibe of, you know what? Everyone's going to get here. Things are going to work out the way they're supposed to work out. And we're going to make the best of it. And uh, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. I'm like, with that I need people like you to balance me out because I'm the other side of that neurotic or forward thinker that goes 20 years in the future and tries to follow the plan as detailed as possible, but needs somebody to remind me that life is... I, I think it's important to have a plan. Like, we had a plan. We yeah. had a structure. We knew what we wanted to do, but we just need to leave room for things to happen, right? Yeah, I'm with that. I'm just terrible. It's just not comfortable. I don't like it. I know that it's part of the process. I get what it is. And I have guys like Willie and other... I keep people around. Like my girlfriend. Holy shit. Is she like... Does she not believe in leaving on time? I have... I'm... She's... I don't want to like start nothing. And she's so much more respectful <laughs> now. But like the anxiety it might cause me. And I'm trying to be not a shithead about it. But holy fuck. It doesn't matter what time I want to leave at. No matter what. Like for the longest time right. and you know what every time she was right it didn't matter right <laughs> every time so, i was an anxious mess for no good reason and then she was annoyed with me that didn't change shit i'm just like you know sometimes i like i like to be early to shit because i don't know somebody brainwashed that shit into me and it makes me fucking feel weird like a guilt when i'm late or whatever but yeah, no, it's the balance of it, right? But that also comes with a different side where it, it creates like these strengths and weaknesses, I find, because she's maybe not always structured and over forward thinking. And so, you know, the balance of life. Yeah, and, and that's it. My wife is that balance for me, too. We need that. We need that in our lives, right? The yin and yang. We need that shit. Yeah, facts. And I appreciate it too. But I also appreciate folk like that. Like I don't most of the people I actually work with on projects end up being more like that. Like we just like, hold on. Why are you stressing this shit? It'll happen when it happens. And I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with you? The world is ending right now. <laughs> I'm like Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to hurry up, man. We need to try and slow down. That's what we need. And you know to do. what? You're probably right. I'm not even saying I live right. Like I'm kind of aware that like a lot of us are hardwired with these anxieties that don't make sense. It's irrational, but it's still yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, we can't prevent ourselves from feeling it. Right. right. It's, still, it's there. We're, we're gonna live it. Uh, how we deal with it? Fuck, man. Shit. Everybody's got a different way of dealing with shit. That's facts. Yo, man. Yeah. I really appreciate you, Q052. Do y'all have any questions for Q052? Oh, one thing we didn't talk about, because I actually saw it on a website, so it didn't dawn on me to ask, but was what your name is. Quentin. No, but the Q052 part and what that represents. Okay. Q is for Quentin. That's my first name, Quentin. And 052 is the government number of my community. So if you ever hear about, you know, the, the famous term uh, band number, somebody's in the status number, there's their, their number. Every indigenous person in Canada has a number 
to them that identifies them to the government. So the government can keep track of how many Indians are in the country. Um, now, in order to do that, they need a number the communities in order to identify those memberships to the communities, each person to the community. So Giscavigia, my community, the number is 052. And then the digits that follow that, there's seven digits that follow, that's my personal number. You know, that I won't give that out here. No, of course but, not. Uh, but so that's uh, like the, a the social number. insurance number for y'all. Sort of, but it's more of a tracking number because every Canadian has a social insurance number. And every American has a social security number. But every Indian has an additional number in order to keep track of the amount of Indians in the country because they need to maintain a count on the problem that they have. Fascinating. And you're saying that yeah. from the more control perspective of it to not let it, because if they don't know how large your population is, they can't plan. Absolutely. And that's how they make their budget at Indian Affairs. Right? So the amount of people and and the budget that they have, they coincide. They make sense to each other, right? Right. So, so if they control the census, they control the budget. Exactly. Do you, uh, do they misrepresent the number? Like, I don't know if that's an issue. Like, I've never really thought about that. Um, yeah, I think in a certain way. The, you know, the Indian Act is, there are many, many, many people of Indigenous descent in this country who don't have uh, Indigenous rights. Now, I'm going to give you a reason why. Okay, so the Indian Act, as we know it, is a bill that is passed. It's a law that governs the Indigenous people, the Indigenous population. But... They call it the Indian Act, just the same. It's so fucking colonial. It's ridiculous. So this law has been in place since uh, 1876. 1867, obviously, is Confederation. Uh, the formation of the Indian Act was enacted immediately, but came to law in 1876. So the whole idea behind the Indian Act was to um, eradicate the indigenous people, keep count of them, assimilate them and have them become just normal colonized individuals that are part of this commonwealth. Um, obviously, it wasn't easy to fuck kill us off. We're still here, right? And um, so this Indian Act uh, had a bunch of laws in it. If you, When you say Indian Act, these are laws that are, I mean, books and books and books deep. There's books and books deep because there's so many bylaws and and, and uh, amendments and all kinds of things, but um, it's very sexist law. So the, what they did was they put like one example, fuck, there's so many, I, I need to narrow this down, but let's say how sexist it is. An indigenous man um, and an indigenous woman, brother and sister, okay? Um, the sister goes and marries a white man, non-indigenous, and has two children. She picks up his name, and those children pick up, even if they don't pick up the name, uh, it's with a white man. Well, those children lose their rights. They're no longer indigenous. They're not recognized by the Bureau of Indian Affairs as indigenous people in this country. Now, the brother goes and has two kids with a white woman. And those children have their indigenous rights. Wait, that's so and wild. They can, and they can perpetuate those rights. Now, we know that women live longer and perpetuate the seed, right? They're, they're the ones who give birth. So in this, in this uh, 
circumstance, what they want to do is make sure the women have their rights removed because they live longer, they procreate, they're the carriers of life. So all of this population that you would see, could you understand if those were just two people? Okay, right there. Now, this woman is married to non-Indigenous man, has two children. Those two children go off and they have six children each. And then those children all have, you know, four kids each or whatever. Those were potentially all Indigenous children, Indigenous families, a part of our population. But the government ripped that away. And only the male was able to keep going forward with their part. So we lost half of our population, essentially. I would say two thirds because women live longer and pro procreate, right? So they're the, the ones giving the seed. So this is the way it's always been. That's a wild thought. So I had no idea it worked like that. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many other little things that work like that, that are, they're, it's disgusting. So it's, it's rather frustrating. Ultimately, the Indian Act needs to be abolished. It needs to be well, removed. I mean, arguably, it's a law from 18... In 1876 i think you said and that is a law yeah. from the 1800s which is like yeah. like i guess but people sometimes be dying on some mole hills of confederation where it's like do you know who these people were yeah the, the thing is is as indigenous people we're not prepared either to abolish the indian act um because we're not ready we we've been beaten down we've been um victims of a cultural genocide a genocide uh where our languages were removed for the most part our cultural practices our belief systems uh our integrity our way of life our autonomy there's so many things that were taken and we need to rebuild those things in order to have true autonomy in order to have true autonomy though we had signed treaties with these non-Indigenous governments way before the Indian Act was ever put in place, before Canada was ever born. Okay, so we had um, treaties that protected us and, and were designed to share the land. Remember, in 1534, when Jacques Cartier's boat came into the Bay de Chalor, there's just a few boats of sick people who needed help, who were lost, and in a bad way, and our people helped them. And we got them better. We taught them how to live there. They returned. There was a peace. There was time of peace for many years until they brought their war here, right? We were allies with the French. Actually, the Mi'kmaq, when I say Mi'kmaq, that word means allies. Mi'kmaq means allies. We were such allies with the French that they called us les alliés. And their, their uh, leader had asked us what les alliés was in our language, which was Mi'kmaq. So from that time, they called us Mi'kmaq. They couldn't say Mi'kmaq, so they said Mi'kmaq, you know? Mm. But the real name of our tribe, the real name of our nation is Elnuk. Elnuk means human. Back to the point. If we did not want them here, and if we were hostile and inhumane and savage, we would have killed every fucking person there, right there, right then and there. Right. But we weren't savage and we were willing to help other people. It wasn't the first time we had seen newcomers. So that says a lot about indigenous people, that we were open hearted and we were willing to help people beyond race. It didn't matter, you know, and we we maintained and developed a, a, a relationship that was good for many years. 
until they brought their wars here. You know, they brought their wars here and the English uh, uh, had had been uh, allies with, like, say, the Iroquois people, like the Mohawk. And um, that's where the clashes and, and the wars would start with our own people again. You know, there's a lot of history that needs to be taught. Yes, that's interesting. Like, I mean, because it basically parallels what happens everywhere the wars go with the same colonial powers. But we don't really discuss the inter... Like, I mean, I, I, I don't even remember if it got touched on in school or anything. I just know, like, what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And, like, you don't really hear about the symbiotic relationship between Nouvelle France and the people back then. Like, you don't really hear it. You just kind of get painted these really vague pictures. And then because, yeah. the media is what it is. Um, Not only that, history is perspective. Facts. And, and Victor's always tell their side of the story first. If we have this discussion today and there's nobody to witness it, just you and I, if we write something down of what happened during this conversation and I shoot you in the head, take your paper and burn it, my paper is the truth. Facts. And I, I, I've gone down some rabbit holes of ancient history and how little we know and how we only have like, we, we like have entire courses of school projecting on thousands of years of history because like four people wrote books almost like over a span of 600 years. And that's all we know. Yeah. And we know everything yeah. because those guys wrote books, those four people. And it's like, what the fuck? We don't even know shit. But then you have yeah. like cultures that have oral history, etc. So I don't want to like act like there is, but just for certain parts of history, it really is like that. And, uh, I don't think we're taught a lot of accurate shit, you know, like, all you have to do is talk to Americans about the War of 1812. Every Canadian knows what the fuck went down there. And we fucking burned that shit to the ground. Or not to the ground. We Absolutely. burned that. But none of the Americans hear about that shit. They don't want to talk about that war. Oh, an interesting war, too, is the fucking Tecumseh Warrior was involved in there, man. And do uh, you know who Tecumseh is? Nah. Shawnee Warrior. He's the one that fucking protected the, the fucking line. For the Canadians to win that battle, him and his 20 warriors, they died on the field against the Americans while the Canadians went back and protected their fort, ultimately, ultimately protecting Canada. And uh, Canada has never fucking recognized the Shawnee warrior Tecumseh uh, officially. But the Americans who were defeated by him and his warriors, they put a fucking big marble statue of the dying Tecumseh in Washington. Hmm. That's oh, like and, yeah. not what you would like think you know like who would give the crabs but uh props but yeah. yeah yeah canada took full credit of that victory of the battle of 1812 but tecumseh died on the battlefield in 1813 about uh protecting that fucking uh fort when mm. him and his warriors died on it and that was while the canadians uh ran back to uh protect their fort that's a super amazing fact i mean i love the fact that you're teaching us stuff i did willie highlighted a question so i don't want to forget that because otherwise willie may feel jilted but are you comfortable <laughs> enough spelt like your song name uh to tell us live who is one guest that you had on the river that you would have left for the wildlife to share I don't actually fully oh. understand what that question means so you can that means like having one because i get a lot of um I get a, a lot of high status, high profile okay. uh, people, you know, out on onto the river. A lot of celebrities, a lot of politicians, a lot of like. So he's asking you to name uh, drop a famous uh, person you got to go fishing with. 
that I didn't like and I would have rather let fucking wolves eat. That's oh, what he's so he's saying it like that, like that. Yo, Willie, you're trying yeah, to get yeah. me in trouble. It's like that. It's fair. <laughs> I didn't fully understand his question. I read the shit verbatim and he worded it like that because he knew it would get by. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell you what. It was a guy from New York, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Fair yeah. enough. Um, yeah. Would you write a book? Or have, would you have plans I, to write a book? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You should. Absolutely. That would be fire and, to read. Uh, I, I do intend on that. Uh, actually, right now, I've worked on, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. Um, I worked on two children's books uh, most recently. I think one of them is going to be published, I think. Uh, I just busted out. I made a children's book, and it's getting published. Like, Yeah. Oh, oh this is a great story. I got to tell you it right now. What? Yeah. I don't know if anyone uh, was expecting that. And he pulled out this uh, thing? This I made this, all right? This is my doll that I make for my kids to tell them the traditional stories. I'm going to give you the backstory on this, okay? Um, my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother with my grandparents and my dad and all of his siblings, they all lived in a uh, 20 by 24 uh, little house, no basement, uh, with a little loft. They all lived in this, it's many generations. Um, this is a time where uh, they were going to day schools, so residential schools on the reserve. They weren't allowed to speak their language. They weren't allowed to congregate on the streets. They weren't allowed to uh, do anything. They were stuck under the You need a permission slip to leave the reserve. And they weren't allowed, especially, to exercise their cultural activities, which is why we lost so much. Mm-hmm. They would be put in jail, doing like they, and, and it was a bad thing. So my great-grandfather figured out a way to pass down stories of our, our nation, our history, our traditional ways of doing things by a doll at bedtime. Okay. So at night, what he would do <laughs> at night, he would sit down with all the kids on his rocking chair. It was bedtime. Uh, and he would take Mustat. He made this character called Mustat. My, I don't have my grandfather's doll right here. I must have it up in my room. But I have my great grandfather's doll. I have my grandfather's doll. I have my dad's doll. So each generation makes this doll called Mustat. It's the same character. We make it little different pieces. You know, like it, there's alterations. There's alter. You know, we got to make our own version of it. It can't be exactly like our father's. And um, this is how we hand down stories from our our nation to our to our children. So my great grandfather found this clever this clever trick to be able to talk about how to hunt moose, how to spear eels, how to go salmon fishing, how to make baskets, uh, where to get those things, what time of year, how the moon cycles worked. All of these traditional knowledges that he wasn't allowed to teach, well, the kids didn't know they were learning it. They thought it was just a story time when they were going to bed, you know? So uh, that's how he was able to maintain our history from our family and whatnot from generation to generation. So it's still passed down through these little dolls and so the dolls would like perform various actions when relevant to, and yeah. he like, he attacked the seal from the left and whatever, and it yeah. would just show like the yeah. proper technique. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like, so with oral history with the doll, you intrigue the child; they understand. So these that's stories, why the attack on your language is so powerfully bad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Okay. Man, so this way, Mustat, now the stories that I write are about Mustat. So they're not even my stories. I'm sharing stories that belong to my great-grandfather. And I'm handing them down because they're stories that belong to his father and his father before and his before. So they're not even my stories. I'm just putting them down on paper so that they're not lost anymore. And and do you do this in like English or other like do you, like what? English, Mi'kmaq, and French? That's cool. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's really like. I want just. You're an impressive guy, man. Like, I talk to a lot of people, I suppose, and don't get me wrong, I talk to impressive people, but whenever you talk to somebody that's just un like it's just so unabashedly like purpose driven, it's it's refreshing, right? Like so often in the world all we get to see is the the social media egotists, right? And you're right, you're not gonna get organic reach in ways that are as popular and you're gonna have to do a little bit whatever to get cool but like yo you got that kind of shit that creates that grassroots waves that is really like admirable and again like how late you come into it how much you're trying to do it's like all i'm trying to do with my life is get to that point where i have the freedom to literally write kids books because i feel like it yeah it's important and get there and you will get there yeah facts no i mean i got i say it because i'm on my way I wouldn't even be yeah. like saying it if it wasn't emotion, but like some, it takes its own, everybody's got their own journeys and you know, sometimes you're like, damn, I wish I didn't have to wake up for work tomorrow. But at the same yeah. time, being in the environment I'm at has been a blessing because somebody got to go learn about that shit. Just the way that you yeah. had to go learn about politics. I had to go learn about business. Yeah. A hundred percent. And remember, man, we, we plant seeds with our words, mm. right? And Facts. say it out if you don't say it out loud, they'll never grow. Yeah. I, I feel never grow. You gotta say it out loud and you gotta do it. Like people vilify talking about your plans because there are people who just always talk about their plans, but literally everything you seeing me do today, I visualized, I said it to somebody. Almost every plan you're going to see me do in the future, I literally put on Facebook at some point because I can't help right. it. I'm going to tell all my strategies. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like that. And then, yeah, but you, you, I think you're just, you, you know, you're, you're putting it out there. You're, you're, uh, you're making your plan. That's it. It's okay. You got to plant the seeds, man. You got to plant the seeds. Plus, you it ever, doesn't matter. Who gives a fuck if somebody don't believe in you or not? And sometimes shit, I don't even want to do the ideas. I just want them to be, I just want <laughs> them to be there, you know? Like, let somebody else run it sometimes. But, like, I love yeah. the idea of sharing it. Like, there might just be more qualified people all the time that are there that yep. can just handle it and i'm not like vain like that like i come off sometimes like i'm vain like that but trust if you the guy for the job it's my pleasure to let you do the job <laughs> you know it yeah. just makes everybody's life easier <laughs> yeah no that's super cool man it's really cool yeah man i really love this conversation i have no idea where to take it which usually tells me it's a good time to let it wrap up while it's all organic with it but I thought like you covered everything, man. And then you dropped kids books at the end. So you like an author, a community leader, a po ex-politician, but one that actually secured bags for your community. <sighs> Honestly, that's a right. Just think about that for a second. Man's did entire political run and fucking created sustainability for a community. I don't even think there's like that big of a list of people who could make that flex. That you, I know you don't want to flex, 
But like, arguably, you might want to make that track because, like, <laughs> well, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. I really do. And uh, uh, all of it, man. Like your whole energy is dope too. It's admirable. Like, it's cool to talk to you like that for real. Like it's it's infectiously positive. Cool, man. I'm happy to hear that. Hey, we're gonna hook up in fucking person in Montreal. Sometime. Absolutely. I'm all over. I'm at Willie's shows. Apparently, I'm all sucked into the Willie verse and the Holdy verse. They're all intersecting yeah. entities. So I'm certain it'll happen in real life. Um. All your links and stuff are like down below in the description. And just for the sake of the audio stuff, it's Quentin Q U E N T I N C O N D O zero five two on Instagram, and then you can figure it out from there, people of the internet. Otherwise, links in description and all that good stuff. Thank you all for the people out there <clears throat> that were watching live with us. There were like a whole bunch of you that were live with us, and I really do appreciate it because. Honestly, y'all chatting makes it more of a show and gives me a whole lot more, you know, a pizzazz, which I think makes it more fun. And then uh, also thank you watching in the future, people, because you're, you're important, too. We still love you. But twitch.tv slash behind that suits more lit. Y'all can come through for the lives. Um, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, I'm just preparing my little raid here at the end. Uh, do you have any little last words for the folk before we completely wrap up? everything you just said thank you for being here thank you so much for tuning in uh holden thank you so much man for what you're doing continue doing it and uh peace and love everybody yeah so yeah live long and prosper everybody mm-hmm.